Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Coltum Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coltum Collective Podcast. Why do I say that twice? Oh, the other bit's recorded. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of speaking, speak, Dave, speak. Hi. Uh, now, Ian, yes. now, I know that list of you said, you know, 27, uh, 27 things why we love Dave AC. That's okay, yeah. but I've only got four down for why we love the Sixth Doctor, Ian. I'm, I'm <sighs> struggling. I'll come oh, up well. with a few more before the end of the show. Okay, yeah. Um, like swine. Like swine. Uh, like swine. He's a good, he's a good father, uh, and I'll build on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, has 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 an immaculate dress sense. I mean, my coat's more famous than I am. <laughs> oh, he's a lovey. I forgot. He's a lovey. I'm a lovey. Yeah, one. I'm a lovey. <laughs> uh, it's good to have you here, Dave. <laughs> good to be here. Yes. Okay. Well, today's topic is we found another list. Fancy that. Well, actually, strictly speaking, Mr. Doris Skeptical found a list. It's the uh, SFX's list of 27 things to love about New Who. And we will be discussing that with the rest of the collective. And speaking of that motley bunch, let's open the box and see who's in the collective today. All right. First, oh, over in that little corner, there's a Benjamin Elliott. I think he fell asleep. Benjamin. He fell asleep. Benjamin. Well, you Benjamin. didn't say my name unless it was while it was you are being unmuted. Probably. Ah. Uh, okay. There anyway. he is. <laughs> yep. Hi, all. Hello, Benjamin. Mr. This Week in Doctor Who. And uh, Darth fill in on Doctor Who Review today, uh, this past weekend, the 50th episode. Mm. I'm sure Robert would love people to hear the episode. And to hear just how tired I sound at one in the morning, <laughs> and and uh, one of my short stories got turned into an audio this weekend, courtesy Staggering Stories and Flashing Blade. So thanks to those guys. Okay, and um, where you, can people listen to this? Uh, you uh, go to either the Staggering Stories website or the Flashing Blade website, and you uh, click on the link to it. I also put the link in the chat a few minutes ago, and it's oh, on iTunes. Under both feeds. 
And of course, This Week in Doctor Who, groups.yahoo.com slash group slash This Week in Doctor Who every Saturday. Excellent. Excellent advertising, sir. Moving swiftly on, and as long as he's queued up and ready to roll, Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello. Hello, sir. Only he could be so drumbled. That didn't make sense. I wasn't even a word. Anyway, hello, Darth. Glad hello. to have you here. <laughs> and moving swiftly on, from way across the other side of the world, where it's tomorrow already, Ramana 2. Hello, boys. Mm. <laughs> hey, great. Oh, I got my Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> also joining us, ooh, you're there's there you go, <laughs> Mr. Randolph. Hello, everyone. How are you today? We right. are very good, sir. Oh, and look who just flew in, Mr. Tiggs Panther. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Fine. Very good, sir. And it's a special hi to High Minister. God bless you all. And at this special time of year, let us remember what is important about Christmas. Basically, alcohol, presents, and Doctor Who. Exactly. Well Doctor Who presents, too. Absolutely. Like, screw my presents. Give me my Doctor Who. <laughs> I think that got mixed up as well. Yes, I think so. <laughs> but this is a family show. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, that only leaves us with those little people trapped inside that glass bubble called the Cone of Silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the Cone of Silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the Cone of Silence. What? Do not shout in the Cone of Silence. What? In fact, don't even use the Cone of Silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. Get smart on TV Slang. Section 3.6, the portable Cone of Silence. What? And joining us under the cone today is Charlie P79. Hello, Charlie. Plus, guest four, five, and a special hello to guest six. <laughs> hello, oh, guest yeah, we six. We like guest six. Oh, yes. You are. Yeah. He's, not a prison- he's not a prisoner, is he? No, he's not a number. He's a guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a couple of apologies here, and I've got one here. Um... From Graham, uh, Jokerphile Media, and uh, he wanted me to, uh, when I mentioned his name, to wish from him a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all the people in the room and to all the people who, who listen to the downloaded show later. So that's from okay. Graham, uh, sometimes known as the Second Doctor, who has his B Movie Invasion uh, podcast. Okay, and I have. Uh, um Wishes also from uh, oh, cool. Gowron. <laughs> Gowron is unable to make it and uh, sent me uh, a little email, which I'll read uh, read a little later on in the show uh, because he uh, he put in his thoughts on on the list that we are about to talk about. 
So yeah, Gowron is not able to make it either, and uh, Howley T was here, popped in and said hello, and then popped off again, probably for a wee. Um, so, that only leaves us to introduce one more person. Typing Monkey. It's news time! Go, Typing Monkey, go! <laughs> <laughs> and first up with news, it's Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, most of the news today, schedule-wise, is of the um, surprise variety. Uh, obviously, this weekend, this coming Friday, BBC One, 6 p.m., End of Time, Part 1. BBC America airs it at 9 p.m. midnight and 3 a.m. Eastern on the 26th of December, Saturday. Uh, then Part 2, New Year's Day, 6.40, BBC One, with... Uh, BBC uh, with Space, airing parts one and two together on the 2nd of January at 8 p.m. Eastern, and BBC America airing it at 8.30, 11.30 p.m. and 2.30 a.m. Eastern on January 2nd, which is a change from what we previously thought. They are putting a documentary in about David Tennant at 8, 11, and 2, and airing Doctor Who at a half an hour later than we originally thought. So Americans will have to wait a few minutes longer for the last episode. The... And there's also a documentary on the lost episodes of Doctor Who on Radio 4 on Saturday the 26th at 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Now, if you're a fan of the K-9 series and you were hoping that your friends from Poland could get you the episodes off Disney XD, you're going to be waiting longer because the channel Disney XD postponed the premiere of the um, K-9 series. It was supposed to premiere on December 12th. It's now premiering on December 26th. Yeah, in Hungary, the Czech Republic, and Slovakia, the Disney Channel is airing K9, not Disney XD, and they're going to get it on Saturday, January 9th. In Canada, um, Series 2 of the Sarah Jane Adventures began airing weekdays back on Tuesday without any notice to anyone. 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Pacific on BBC Kids, airing weekdays with no promotion and no repeat information. So BBC Kids just snuck that on the air. They, and it made the TV premiere for those episodes in North America. They're already out on DVD in the U.S. and Canada. So we have schedule changes and stealth premieres. Uh, probably the most interesting thing will be the lost episode stuff on Saturday because most people can track down Doctor Who TV premieres. If you heard the documentary about Shada and other shows in the 70s which weren't broadcast on Radio 4 a couple weeks ago, it's the same host. What's his name? Okay. The host guy. And I imagine for Australia and New Zealand, no, we still don't know when the end of time part one and part two will air. Ooh, dear. Sorry. Sean Lay is the name of the host. And he did a good job with the previous documentary. Yeah, it made me go back and watch Sharda again. I love that footage. It's such a pity they didn't finish it. <laughs> Animation time again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, is that it, Ben? That's that's it for 2009 for me. Ooh. Catch him next year. For the Nautis as well. <laughs> <laughs> You can you can catch more news 
with Benjamin Elliott after the end of time. <laughs> that just sounds ominous, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, all right, moving on with more news. It's a short news day today. It's Randall Thor. Yes, earlier this week on BBC Radio 3, Wednesday Wednesday night, Stephen Moffat, who will be... Spoiler warning! Spoiler yeah. warning! I'm getting to that. Uh, he was <laughs> on a, night wave, a program on BBC Radio 3 called Night Waves, and he was discussing his plans for Doctor Who, and he gave a spoiler as a teaser for what to expect. So, spoiler alert now, because I'm, I'm about to relate what he said to expect. And his ah. first series, spoiler alert, The Weeping Angels Are Returning. And Aww. that's the spoiler. Yay! It was a fabulous uh, interview, too, and uh, if you want to hear uh, the two parts of it, um, it is you can actually uh, get to it through uh, the Blog Der Who website. Um, they have it on there, and I'm sure you can get it from the BBC as well. Uh, did I do? So, Dave, did you have any news? No, pr- uh, that's uh, pretty brief for me. Um, only to mention that we, we do have some messages that we will be playing during the course of this show. Christmas messages uh, from other podcasts. Yes, yes. Um, we uh, There was a little project started uh, on the Doctor Who podcasters website uh, about distributing messages of good cheer amongst the Who podcasting community and uh, we've done our own little one which you'll hear at the end of the show plus we've got others to play from well-known names as The Tin Dog and uh, what's that guy with that girl? Joe! (laughs) Joe and that fella yeah he's the lucky assistant Joe that's the only one I can remember from that show Joe and yeah Flashing Blade yeah (laughs) <laughs> Tony now. Oh yeah, that Tony guy. Yeah, I only listen to it for Joe. <laughs> Seems to make an appearance every now and again. <laughs> He's just the cat wrangler for that show. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Or as Tony would say, I'm drifting. <laughs> well, if you want, we can play. I mean, we've got a lot to get through. Should we play theirs now? Before we get on with the list, here's the Flashing Blade podcast Christmas message. Hello, I'm Joe from the Flashing Blade Podcast. Um, hello, I'm Tony from the Flashing Blade Podcast. And we'd like to wish everyone at the Coltum Collective Podcast. Happy Christmas to all of you at home. Oh, yes, we got the cliche in. The cliche is there. Oh, and I suppose something about peaceful New Year, blah, 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 blah. Yay! And don't forget, you can, of course, always listen to us on the Flashing Blade podcast at www.flashingblade.org.uk. Ooh, it's exciting. Is it? Yes. Oh, yay! You haven't heard it. <laughs> Ta-ta, then. Have a nice time. Not too much turkey now. Oh, bye. Toodles. Arriba! You know, Ian, I think you'd think they'd get professional like us, wouldn't you? Yeah, I know. God. <laughs> I mean, we slaved over us for hours. There were full scripts. There was... 
and they just Which come wine? in and yeah, yeah, wine of course. Yes. Um, ooh, some Vermont must have slipped on the floor and fell into the cone. Oh, there she is. <laughs> She's back. Also, I'm back. we've been we've been joined by Lynn one five nine, and oh, she's gone again. A dress that was just here, and then and then there she is. left. The dress I'm here. There she is. But Lynn's I'm here. here. I'm here. Yeah, yeah, I know. I can hear you. But a dress <laughs> was here, and she left. But anyway, on to the list. <laughs> so SFX magazine. We were their website at least, posted 27 things that SFX loves about New Who. And we will be tackling that list starting now. At number 27, their favorites... T- 20, oh God, I'm all just... I'm all lips today. <laughs> their 27th favorite thing is thus... Beat a German dog. Exterminate him. I mean, that was quite fabulous, actually. It's like I quite liked that. It was a nice laugh. Yeah, it, so it has some text under the picture. Um, the shot from them floating through the black forest, shouting "Exterminatum, exterminatum" was something like something from a f- nostalgic comic book memories. Okay, it never actually happened in any Dalek comic strip but it felt ripped from the pages of Eagle, our action nonetheless. Pulp sci-fi at its iconic best, is what they say. But do we? I just think it was a good laugh. <laughs> God, and in the German version of Doctor Who, was it jubbed into what? Yeah, English? was it dubbed in English? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> like, like the English policeman in uh, LOLO, you know. Yeah. Oh, gotta love that bit. <laughs> yes, okay. I can imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. I, anybody got I, many thoughts on this? I thought that bit was cool. I mean, um, for one thing, it, you know, there's always the cliche that you know, aliens, wherever they are, whoever they are, they always speak English. And this says not so much that they just always speak whatever language is appropriate to who's around. I mean, the, 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 the neat thing about it is it just kind of conjures up the fact that, you know, yes, they're conquering Earth, uh, not just London, uh, not just America. You know, they're they're conquering places. Does somebody want to come in? Somebody was knocking. <laughs> Who's arranging their microphone? Might be me, actually. <laughs> yeah, Tim's not here. No, I think Tim... No, I'm just, I'll just check. I think Tim might have sent his apologies as well. Right. But yes, uh, anybody else wish to comment on the German Daleks? Well, the, great. The, the Daleks always originally were supposed to be Nazis in the 60s. And I think that would have been a bit heavy-handed had they done that from the very beginning. But the fact yeah. that they brought it in now, I think, is uh, quite a nice nod to that. And yeah, it was, it was just funny. <laughs> 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 
Okay, so we'll move on to number 26. The Pyrovile. From the fires of Pompeii, the mill's finest monster, the CG Pyrovile, from the fires of Pompeii, were cinematic in quality and imaginatively designed. The moment when one steps out of the cave mouth is like the best Harryhausen moment Harryhausen ever animated. They were fabulous. I mean, so many... Uh, I keep looking back at, at old Who, um, or classic Who, sorry, and... You know the monsters that were lurking and under the floorboards or you know behind the walls or in a dungeon somewhere, and they were always you know plastic rubbery monster things. This thing, when it enters there, the house, it's just immense. It's just this huge immense creature, and it's gorgeous. So whether they were uh, an effective monster or a good, the fact is that they just look gorgeous. Dave. God, Sorry, yeah, I think it was. Uh, no, I just muted myself while I uh, tried to check for that uh, thing from Ian. Um, sorry, from Tim. I couldn't just find it, but rather than me, since I'm controlling the room, I'll supposedly control the room. Just let me give uh, Tim's apologies for not being here and pass oh, on his Christmas uh, greetings. Uh, but yeah, I thought the 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 way they were animated was was really well done and. Uh, uh, quite spectacular, in fact. Um, I don't know why they were picked out by this, the FSX as being um, uh, the best. Um, I mean, obviously, sometimes they've got it wrong uh, in Dot 2. I mean, the worst one for me was in the Lazarus experiment. I thought that was really hokey, the monster that they had in that. And so I, I suppose in that if sense, when they get the, the, um, uh, the monster right, it really does pay dividends. I mean, like in Planet of the Dead, I wasn't really that taken with the uh, insect people. Although, of course, I should very quickly say that they weren't the enemy, of course. They they were victims as well. But um, really, um, I haven't got a lot to say on it. And I'd like to hear what people in the room, anybody have, wondering why this is included? Or were they blown away by the pyrovile? Not blown away, but they were good. They don't really stand out in my memory, to be honest. I didn't think they were that brilliant. Well, I mean, they I weren't as scary as the Candy Man, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish the happiness patrol the other It was, was the new who we're talking about, of course. I think they speak out to all those people who are told younger in life, don't play with matches, don't start <laughs> fires. And <laughs> someone who really wants to do that finally got their yeah. chance without getting arrested. <laughs> I think it was again the idea of having a water pistol moment, wasn't it? I mean, this, this hulking great thing comes out, and you defeat it with a few squirts of water. <laughs> and the doctor using a gun, but just a water gun. I think I mean what SFX is saying here is that um, it's a standout CGI monster. I mean, th there really aren't that many examples of entirely CGI monsters in you who, even though we might think that there are. Um, and, it, and it may well class as the best CGI monster that is not based upon something that we're familiar with. I mean, to be honest, the absolute best one in, from a technical standpoint is clearly the wolf. Yeah, yeah, it's clearly the wolf from Tooth and Claw. But, of course, that is a design that we're used to. I mean, we know what a wolf looks like, and so they're, they're aiming for something that... Um, exist or, or basically exist. This thing, though, as an act of pure imagination, 
um, probably is the best CGI monster. And indeed, the fact that we can even talk about having CGI monsters is maybe one of the things that makes New Who so good. Yeah, but they, they had the, I mean, the Reapers, the Kill tra- Killer Train. I mean, arguably, those made as much an impression on the fans as the uh, Pyrovile. But I think as, a, as an act of technical superiority, this one is far better because flame is a very difficult thing to do in CGI. And to have monsters made of flame um, that are wholly original, that's, that's impressive. Right. The, the, the one thing that struck me about them was the sheer scale, um, yeah. especially once... I mean, as I said, when, it, when the, the one pyroval comes into the house just the sheer size of it, and then when they go into the volcano, and there's like four or five of them milling around and doing stuff, it's just like holy hell, these things are immense, and I don't know it just, they they strike, I mean, when I saw them on the list, I'm like, yeah, yeah because, I mean, some of them like the Curlitane were I thought were a bit naff um, mm-hmm. frankly, and, and never really struck me as being that menacing uh, they just look like bat-type creatures, and, oh, well, you know. Uh, the the best thing about that episode with the Krillotane in it was um, uh, Anthony Stewart Head. <laughs> yeah. He, he could have stayed like that the whole time, and I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, any more on the Pyrovile, or shall we move swiftly on? I've got one small thing to mention um, about the Pyrovile, that um, they almost kind of, the design of them is almost quite similar to um, like something out of an anime, like um, kind of mecha and stuff, I find, I found. Kind of right. reminded me of like giant robots, but made out of rock, which I thought was uh, cool. Charlie B says, Parval reminds me of something like, oh, reminds me of something yeah. called the Transformers. Yeah, like like Transformers, yeah, the kind of, like, like the kind of um, Japanese, like giant robots kind of thing. Right. Like Voltron and Evangelion, all that kind of stuff. It was, yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, we will move on down the list, or up the list, or whichever way. Sideways. <laughs> Number 25, The Gay Agenda. Actually, My favorite no, agenda. <laughs> and, reading, and reading from the list, actually, there never was an agenda. What it was was an unsensationalist way of representing homosexuality as something normal. It was never rammed down our throats. Certain characters just happened to be gay. Uh, and they weren't ashamed of it. It was never made an issue in the show, and casual references to female characters breaking up with their girlfriends or Captain Jack puckering up to the doctor probably did uh, did more to nurture sexual tolerance than any gritty soap storyline about homosexuality. Right. Well, I would agree with everything that that yeah. says, but I think what was taken issue with a couple of times was not the fact that there were there were gay characters and then and that wasn't even a, um, an issue as such, but I suppose it was some of the the doctor related um, references um, that may have triggered a few people off, um, uh, like when he, he refers to he's going to give uh, Captain Jack a kiss. You know when when um, is it in the Shakespeare Code and the um, one or two other little references like that, I think. Mm. I don't yeah, think I mean, it's a problem, but then again, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. honestly think the doctor's sexuality, regardless of whether it's with someone of his exactly, own gender or female, I mean. it it's going to be an issue anyway with fans. Exactly. So. I didn't mean the fact that he was having that. The fact that he was being a sexual 
creature. Yeah. Yeah. They were the the sexual agenda was what irked more fans than yeah, yeah, than the, yeah. the gay agenda. Is, Absolutely. Is, which is stupid anyway. But oh well. I so mean, moving around the room. Uh, yeah, I'll just mention. I've probably got a lot to mention oh. about this one. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just mention quickly that the gay agenda, if you look back in Doctor Who's past, has always been there. Really, I mean, just it was just never stated. I mean, you just maybe I'm kind of tainted because I'm a Flash fan girl, but you just look at the fifth Doctor and his male companions. <laughs> it was a bit... Well, you kind of had John Nathan Turner saying, oh, we're gonna, there's not going to be any hanky-panky going on the TARDIS, so the Doctor will never touch his female companions, but he will always touch his male companion because that's okay. But it's just kind of made, made the situation even worse because it just looks like they're all, you know... Like, um, the Fifth Doctor and Turlo were a little bit more than friends at some times. But anyway, I'll leave it there. And then there was the Master's phallic weapon. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Well, the Master and the Doctor, even from the 70s, have been very close, needless to say. Yes. <laughs> like brothers. Anyway. Of course, there was so, a great joke okay, in the, um, the, the great joke in the uh, bit, The Children Need Special. Uh, yeah. Time clash, where they're talking about the master having a wife. Really? <laughs> yeah. Does he still have that rubbish beard? No. Well, a wife. <laughs> and of course, there were the Dalek bumps in the Curse of Fatal Death, which oh, were yes, yes. yes. And, and the funny thing is, is in relation. Sorry, go ahead, Benjamin. Well, that, that's pretty much the end of the joke there, because you know, coupling and Doctor, and the fact he's not taking over Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing I've seen people it's like, oh, Russell T and his gay agenda, Russell T and his gay agenda who's responsible for more gay jokes than Doctor Who? Stephen Moffat <laughs> Yeah, seriously I mean, who yeah. wrote The Empty Child for example <laughs> I know <laughs> Who originally wrote Captain Jack into the series, come on Still yeah. <laughs> on the fireplace <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, yeah. Uh, Time Crash itself was <laughs> completely Stephen's and and, mm-hmm. and they and they blame Russell. <sighs> anyway, any more first on next year? <laughs> any more on the uh, gay agenda? Um, I've got something to add. Okay. Um, I think okay. I think maybe one of the things that a lot of people find frustrating is you know when a gay character is mentioned in Doctor Who, it's mentioned. But I think the way things are, there's no other way of doing it. You know because you know. In society, you know, people in relationships are, relationships are still, by default, assumed the heterosexual. The only way that you can say that someone is in a gay relationship is to actually have them specifically mention their boy or girlfriend. Whereas if someone just says, oh, my partner or my significant other or whatever, you automatically tend to assume, unless you know them, that it's of the other gender. So you've got to say it to say it, you know. And I guess people think, oh, you're preaching, oh, you're trying to say it's like, no, I'm just trying to make a point about a character that you can only do by specifically stating it. Yeah, I mean, the only two I meant, uh, caught that sort of, that I noticed was like the, you know, in Gridlock, was it, the, yeah. what was supposedly two sisters and they were, don't be silly, you know, were a couple. And then in the Waters of Mars, the chap who was looking at Earth and he's talking about... Um, you know uh, the 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 girl who's on turning into the water creature, the flood, 
asks him, and he talks about um, his uh, his partner. I think he says his brother's uh, husband. It, it, yeah, that was it. Yeah, and you had in midnight as well. You had um, you had um, Sky Sylvester talking about breaking up with her her partner. Right. Yeah. That she needed space. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's there's lots, and there's also the, one where um, interestingly enough, Sans Cassandra said she used to be a boy, mm. which was quite an interesting one, yeah. and that was just like no one flinched at all. It's like okay. Yeah. The, the 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 interesting thing I find about this whole uh, agenda thing is that in 30 or 40 years' time, we'll be looking at these episodes on DVD or whatever the um, technology is, and we'll sit there and we'll laugh at how things like that used to stand out. We'll be like, hey, remember back then when everybody thought it was weird that they mentioned this on TV? You know, it's almost like when you know the first black character appeared in a major TV series. You know, oh, you know, oh look, there's a black woman on the Enterprise. You know, how shocking! Oh, she kissed Kirk. It's the same thing. I mean, it, the reason why they stand out is because you don't see a lot of it, and it's the more common it becomes. Bill Cosby. That was Bill Cosby and I Spy. Hmm. Bill Cosby was the first major black uh, actor to be in a major uh, television show. I spot. Right. Yeah. Well, male. But it's actor. yeah. But that's the thing is these things only stand out because they're relatively new. I mean, yes, there's been gay characters in other TV shows, but uh, Russell made a point to to include everybody and everything in in. New Who, and I think it's to his credit that that we are moving forward and something like Doctor Who, which introduces these kind of things to us. I mean, look at the Green Death. Uh, yeah, it's still a valid point even today. And I'm sure back then people were like, "Oh, you're just you know, you're just taking the side of the hippies." <laughs> but I digress. Dar, but anything it, to add? Having said that, though, I mean, there are instances where I think it is annoying. I mean, oddly, um, in Voyage of the Damned, there's that whole thing with Bonnie Cavallara and the, um, it, the the obscuring of the gay agenda, where he's he's trying to do a metaphor like is commonly done in science fiction, of saying, you know, okay, this cyborg is really standing in for being gay, um, and I found that incredibly annoying. That, that we was a little back, insulting as well, really. The fact that we went back from just the casual sort of, you know, okay, Captain Jack is bisexual, who really cares? Um, or um, whatever, there are other examples where it's just, you know, something, a throwaway line, to this whole heavy-handed plot thing of clearly talking about homosexuality, but yet using a metaphor, and it was just stupid. Like, that one, I think, was true gay agenda. That was really ramming something down our throats. Um, but in general, I think the gay agenda thing is more interesting, not for what's actually on screen, but for all of the um, bitching about it Ooh, in huh. forums and something, you know, stuff. Yeah. Um, it's fun to watch all the bitching from my end. <laughs> kind of <laughs> because is, yeah. I just, It's just like, get over it, seriously. It's the way of the future. <laughs> 
Uh, that's what I love about Doctor Who. It's, it's kind of the forefront of like showing this kind of thing in just a regular way and what yeah. it should be doing. And, and, and then, of course, knew about one thing, one thing that the, may, oops, sorry, sorry, one thing that may of course some concern to some areas of say UK society anyway is the fact that we're in Torchwood they saw that as an adult program and they felt that was fine. Perhaps some people thought, well, this is a family show. I'm watching it with my children. I'm not ready for my children to be made aware of some of these um, lifestyles. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but some parents might say, I'd rather they just left that out of a family show simply so that I can bring up that subject uh, when we wish to bring it up. Other families, of course, might find, actually, that gives them a way in to bring in the subject you'll find um so you'll find nowadays that children are actually in primary school actually taught as a regular thing like um like it's i know they've they've built like storybooks like brought into schools like of like you know um you know this character has two mums or this character has two dads and these days children growing up now it's really not an issue to them for example i think it was john sim in an interview saying that um his son's favourite character is Captain Jack, and the fact that he's he's bisexual is not an issue because they're just so used to it these days. Oh, Especially yeah. the line from the, the line in um what tortured your nerve when you had um um you know, when Rhiannon's sitting at the table and then you know, going but Misha's hearing this and Misha's like five and Rhiannon's going but she doesn't she does she's not bothered her friend's got two mums it's okay it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. I, me- I meant it from the point of view of the parents feeling mm. you know they want to bring the subject up when they want to not because. Uh, they're watching a general entertainment program, and uh, and they feel as though the, uh, an issue has been raised that they will now need to deal with. But anyway, that's just one aspect of it. I think we've probably spent quite a long enough on this particular section. Oh. Or has anybody else got a point? <laughs> I just the, the the one point I wanted to make was that um, what I mean it's it's what they say here in the text about the gay, gay agenda um, is that in the past. In a lot of television shows, especially American shows, gay characters were brought in specifically to have storylines about them being gay, whereas in this program it is just dropped into conversation. Oh, yeah, he's got a boyfriend or she's got a girlfriend or she's got a wife or whatever. Um, And that's not the main issue about the character or it's not the main issue about the story. And I think that's what's new about it and what's so much better about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of us agree with that. It's just perhaps sometimes we feel as though it's it's probably handled better by some writers than others, and perhaps let's leave it at that. Uh, Ian, what, do we need to read anything from the text? I, I read it at the beginning. Right, okay. Yes. Okay, moving on to number 24, The Cat Nun's Makeup. Neil Gordon and his team at Millennium have produced some wondrous creations over the past five years, but The Cat Nun's just edge out the Jadoon is the best creatures they've produced. So utterly convincing, you want to reach into the screen and give them a stroke, which apparently is what all the cast were doing. Um, I mean, if you compare the the, the Cat Nuns and, and, and New Earth to survival, you can see how far things like this have come, and it, they were gorgeous. <laughs> well, I want to link this one with the, the last episode with the last thing we've just done about the gay agenda, because um, 
I what? These cut, well, let's face it, because I thought these cut people looked rather attractive. A little bit like, is it Nanto Yo or something, what you call? Janto. Yeah, Janto. Yeah. I mean, one of the, that should be another subject in there. Not so much the, the makeup and how good it looks, but how quite attractive some of these uh, creations oh, are. Oh, dear me, I'll shut up now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> say more. Come on, Dave. Come on. How about it? Which well, alien be offensive uh, now? I thought that. Uh, I think those whiskers would name, tickle when it? you kissed her, though. <laughs> yeah. They tickle Ooh, my head. <laughs> can cats be gay? <laughs> so, anybody else w- want to mention <laughs> yeah. about the actual I cut two gay... <laughs> I saw two gay lions at a zoo once. <laughs> 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 yeah, they were pulling all over each other. It was great. <laughs> Well, I think one was gay and the other was bisexual, but, you know. <laughs> anyway. Makeup. Makeup. Yeah. Come cat on. Makeup. makeup, people. Cat makeup. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of good uh, makeup effects, especially in, well, in You Who. And, you know, I mean, I think as far as something that's, that allows a lot of performance to still continue without being kind of buried, you know, under oh. animatronics and everything. These were just fabulous designs. Yeah, I'd agree with that. God, you're all quiet today. Well, we need to bring wine into this show, Dave. I'm right, drinking well, beer. Say, um, once, if, if everybody's finished on this one, I think it's time to play another little uh, Christmas greeting. But anybody want to say anything more on this particular section I, first? I don't know that I would... Wait a minute, I can see how this is actually written. I mean, I guess in terms of original to them, yes, but I would have to say the Davros thing is pretty damn good. Not to, And not just that, but actually their aging makeup, I would class yeah. that as... Ooh, I mean, yeah. seriously, both David Tennant and... Um, that writer that I don't like. What the hell's his name? Um, um, oh, Idiot's yeah. Lantern. Mark Gatiss. Oh, Mark Gatiss. Yeah. Like, Mark Gatiss I mean, and uh, Freeman Adjaman had it in portrait as well. I, the Freeman stuff didn't work so well for me, but... No, for, it looked a Mark bit odd. Yeah, but for yeah. Mark and for um, David, amazing. True, Especially that shot in uh, End of Family of Blood. Family of Blood. He said he actually looked like his dad. <laughs> wow. He does. Just yeah. David said he, amazing. he felt like he looked like his dad. Yeah. I think that that's harder somewhat than, you know, making a more fantastical creature. Um, but surely in terms of being able to allow actors to project emotion through masks, far better than whatever we saw in any episode of the original series. Um I think that because Neil Gordon has made that his apparent primary goal to be able to allow expression through these masks, that they're all to one degree or another fabulous yeah, um, and, and should really be celebrated at, at going for acting over how incredible the masks can look. Because that was, that was usually the fault of classic Doctor Who is that they – they just went for making incredible sort of weird-looking things without thinking about, okay, this creature has to be able to convey emotion. 
The Merca. Yeah, who was the comic in Gridlock as well? The the other cat person. Um, oh, the guy from Father Ted. Arlen yeah. Hamlin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he could give a performance while still wearing the mask. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably most noticeable um, with Davros simply because you know it's a pre-existing character. You know, basically they recreated the same look, but it mm-hmm. has so much more, you know, flexibility and emotion that can play through. So, I mean, you know, yes, yeah, completely creating the cat creatures from scratch is absolutely fantastic. But seeing Davros and seeing that it's effectively the same face, just it moves now, you know, it just shows how much, you know, how much um, progress has been made if designs that are 20 plus years old now work. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Um, they was just saying your volume's up a little low there, Tiggs. But yeah, I think that's what um, Darth was getting at, is, and and what I was getting at with the cats as well is that you know now we've we've gotten to the point where it's not just about you know how how amazing it can look and and piling on all this stuff and no let's let's make the left cheek twitch and and stuff like that. it's it's about allowing the actor's performance. To come out, you know, there's no point getting in these fantastic actresses and actors when you're just going to bury them under all this latex and, and animatronics and and use their voice. It's just kind of pointless. Now, with what they've been doing, you know, you can just allow them to, you know, their performance just comes through in in, in their face and their eyes and everything. You can just see it all. So. Before we proceed to number 23, we have a Christmas message from a little tin dog. Scanning for audio. This is Michael from the Tin Dog Podcast, and I just wanted to wish you all a very Merry Christmas from everyone here at the TDP. And by everyone, of course, I mean me. One hell of an office party. Merry Christmas, everyone. And keep the blue light flashing. Be seeing you. So is he going to be the only one in this party photocopying his butt on the photocopier? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, (laughs) Tinduck. All right. Number 23, the brainy specs. Most people in these specs would just look like a geek. Dr. Ten makes them look cool. And, to some people, sexy. Suddenly, a lot of specky school kids feel better about themselves. I must admit, uh, when, I, when, I went, when I went to get a new pair of glasses, I seriously looked at, at, at brainy specs. Um, my wife wasn't too keen on them, but... Um, I kind of went most of the way there with with my second pair of, uh, of glasses. I've got two pairs, one for indoors, one for outdoors, and uh, they're they're one halfway for boys, to Brady's specs. Yes, there you go. Um, um, but yeah, I mean it, it is. It's it's great when he puts. Oh, I love love the Brainy specs. Ah, uh, the Brainy specs. Ah, uh, they're like a thing within Fangirl fandom. We all kind of look at them and go. And lose our brains for a second. Whoever thought 
Brothels could be so sexy. I don't know what it is. It's just something about the way they sit on his face. Oh my gosh, he's gone all gooey. Yeah, I have. <laughs> you can hear it in his voice. Any sex do that to me. They really turn into a big marshmallow. It's like, mm. well, there'll be a lot of boys who wear glasses cheering now. Yeah. 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 I actually, weirdly enough, used to have a pair of brainy sex when I used to wear glasses, even before I became a Doctor Who fan. I used to, I, they were that shaped, but they weren't black though. But um, but, but it is a great thing. It's it. Um, I mean, I don't know if the term was around before. You know, uh, Doctor Who came back a bit geek chic, um, and and David has kind of become that, and the costume designers as well. You can't put it all well in his lap. Um, the image of the tenth doctor has has definitely made it kind of cool to be the the nerdy yeah. guy and, and I it's think, lovely. I think actually it was David's idea to have the brainy specs. I think the costume was all Louise Page, but the the glasses was actually him. I think because he said um, as a person who used to wear glasses when he was a child, he wanted to be kind of that kind of hero to you know saying heroes can wear glasses too. Mm. And trying to make kids who wear glasses feel a little bit better about themselves, really. Right. Which I thought was nice. I think Dave always looks sexy. <laughs> he does. So he, can wear a, he can wear a rug sack and he'll be sexy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What is it with that man? <laughs> <laughs> Dave's hot. <laughs> All right, can we have some testosterone in here, please? <laughs> Benjamin, quick. Well, I wear glasses. And it's nice to see a doctor wearing glasses. I don't really see a sexual thrill in it, but um, <laughs> it is <laughs> nice <laughs> to see the doctor get away with glasses. Dave, save us from the girls. Dave, Dave just always looks sexy. I can't. I, you know, what am I supposed to do? Lie? <laughs> guys, guys, well, hot man. <laughs> the brainy specs have certainly done wonders for kind of making kind of thicker rimmed glasses or certainly thicker armed glasses a lot kind of cooler looking um, you know I probably wouldn't have chosen my current pair if I hadn't got used to seeing the ones with the slightly wider band oh honey um, I've seen you and you are hot don't worry about it <laughs> uh oh we've lost tags. <laughs> Darth quick well that's a very good way of completely derailing my train of thought but <laughs> Way, but a, uh, we aim to play. <laughs> He's gone all unnecessary. I'm not going to lie. Quick I mean, the guy's quick, hot. What did I say? Quick nurse the screens. Darth, <laughs> uh, quick. Well, I mean, at first I liked these things, but um, I'm a little bit mad at David now, having done that, because... It kind of means that apparently Matt Smith won't be able to do it, and Matt Smith actually needs the glasses. Um, <laughs> okay, so but he wears contact. Uh, well, he doesn't he, wear. He, yeah, uh, that, um, David Tennant's got bad eyesight as well. He wears contacts when he's not wearing glasses. Same with John Barrowman. They're all got bad eyesight, actually. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Well, I, don't know. I mean, it's just I don't know. I'm just going off of you know. Uh, press pictures or whatever that I've seen and of course, it, it seems like Matt Smith is always wearing glasses in a way that um, you never really saw in um, set photos of David Tennant really well I mean I don't see any reason sorry go ahead 
And straight on BBC High Definition before August of this year, I could tell David Tennant was uh, wearing contact lenses and pigs, but not now. Yeah, I think some people some people have problems with contacts. So if if Matt Smith's one of those people who actually would do better with glasses, then it could be hard for him. I know I would hate to go around wearing gla- wearing contacts because uh, I'd be concerned about my eyes. Right. I mean, I don't see any reason why Matt Smith can't. It's just it, they would have to be a different kind of glasses, just like uh, Peter Davidson's were the very kind of thin... Uh, and small glasses, uh, which really kind of reminded me of, of uh, seemed to me to be kind of a William Hartnell type, you know, old man glasses. Um, so there's no reason why Matt Smith can't, because the Doctor has worn glasses before. Um, and so it's perfectly within the realms of the character to wear them, just they won't be the brainy specs. How about a I wore contacts for years. I wore contacts for years. And then I got LASIK surgery. And that was the worst thing I ever did. Ooh. Worst thing I ever that. did. Yeah, I, I wore contacts for years, and I should have stuck with them. And I got LASIK surgery, and my distance vision became so bad that now I have to wear glasses to drive. So $5,000 for LASIK surgery for nothing, because I have to wear glasses again. That is, that's not so don't good. do it. Don't don't do LASIK surgery. Oh dear! Did you have both done at once? Yeah, yeah. I had, I yeah, I had the, I, I didn't want to wear contacts anymore, so I went and got LASIK surgery, thinking that it was going to uh, make my vision excellent, and it didn't. What it did was ruin my distance vision to the point where I had to wear, I have to now wear glasses to drive. My my uh, closeness vision is okay, like I can read and stuff, but when I go to drive, I have to wear glasses. So I spent $5,000 to get my uh, eyes screwed up. Fuck LASIK uh-huh. surgery. <clears throat> well, we're sorry to hear that. Um, yeah. If you don't mind, we'll move on from that, but uh, I'm sorry to hear that news for you. Yeah. Okay, moving on to number 22, because I'm getting the feeling that this list show might end up like previous list shows. Um, we're only at number 22. <laughs> in Jokes About the Show's Past comes in at number 22. Oh, and you just call continuity. <laughs> Latest firing stock. What do you think, Doctor? Are you my mummy? If you could concentrate. <laughs> Referencing <laughs> back to other stories. Yes. Um, and here's what they had to say. To think we were once worried that New Who was going to be a complete reboot, ashamed of its wobbly set. Uh, they had to put that in there, didn't they? That's just inaccurate reporting. Wobbly set and squeezy bottle past. Instead, the new show embraced its history and often paid homage to it in the most delight in the most delightful ways. Uh, school reunion was steeped in the sno- nostalgia. I've met better monsters than you, bitch fest between uh, Sarah and Rose, was the highlight. Uh, while what fan couldn't have had a thrill to see footage from the original so- shows finally placed in New Who during the next Doctor Christmas special. But better than those obvious nods to the past were the lovely little in-jokes, John Smith naming his parents as Verity and Sydney in human nature, referencing 
first two producer Verity Lambert and the show's co-creator Sidney Newman. Or the Doctor wondering if Malcolm had read The Giant Robot in Planet of the Dead. Yeah. Now, I'm yeah, I'd say that was the only thing... The only oh, thing I've got to argue about in here is the fact that they put in wobbly set. Mm. Sorry, that's inaccurate, but I digress. Uh, and you can also add the, the one about, uh, you know, in the library where they're talking about spoilers. I suppose mm-hmm. that's slightly different, but um, I'm surprised this isn't much... Ha- if this list is, you know, categorised in order, I would have put this, you know, in the in the top ten... Uh, Ten certainly, because I mean, mm. some of those little uh, re- references back, like you said, the and I wish I'd been able to find that the um, the Sarah Jane and Rose one uh, with her, you know, trumping with each other's what they've uh, seen. You know, I've seen the Loch Ness monster and so on. I thought that was a lovely little uh, clip. Oh yes, and um, Charlie P said um, best reference to the show's past: the return of the Macra. Mm. In a way that that totally wasn't like they didn't appear to be shoehorned in it wasn't like oh let's 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 bring in a back a new monster and let's make them bigger and better and and fat. it was like no they just they they evolved and just down at the bottom of uh this huge tunnel sucking up the gas fumes fabulous and you could argue unit coming back um well is that well that's not really a joke is it i suppose but yeah all right, well, there was the um, oh, sorry, I was about to say with the unit coming back. Um, just there was the whole thing in what the Centauri shows room where they all, the doctor was saying, oh, he used to work for them in the eighties or was it the seventies? Kind of as a yes. reference to the kind yeah. of like the incontinuity yeah. of unit dating. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right, Tiggs, anything? Um, yeah, I do seem to remember there was a reference in the Lazarus experiment um, to reversing the polarity of the neutron flow and the fact that it never used to take him that long when he used to do it. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that part. Those are the bits actually that, that the, the rest of my family, especially my wife, hates. Because I've usually got to pause it and go, no. That bit was referring to blah, 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 and they're like, oh, they just roll their eyes at me. Yeah, sounds like an episode of QI. Yeah. <laughs> and Charlie also mentions the reference to the Sensphere in Planet of the Ood. And they say Russell doesn't care about old who. Bollocks. He's a fanboy as much as the rest of them are. Oh, uh, huh? He just knows how to make TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, High Minister. Bit. Okay, sorry, well. go back. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, Mike. Sorry. Yeah, there was a reference in Tooth and Claw that um, that we're all missing when the Doctor used James McCrimmon as an alias. Yeah. Jamie. <laughs> He's gay married in space, husband. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That makes James came back, you know. Love that. On Big Finish. What? Jamie and Zoe are doing audios with the Sixth Doctor for Big Finish. Yes. 2010. Oh, yay. That's particularly that. great because uh, I remember listening to um, uh, an interview with uh, the woman who played Zoe in, uh, on Podshock. And, she's, and the they asked her if she'd, come, if she'd ever come back. And she said, no, Wendy no. Prabry. Wendy Prabry, yeah, that's right. She said, no, 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 no I'd, nev- I'd never come back. And she had. She had a Rusty Davies answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, when 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 referring to uh, uh, the girl who played Zoe, Wendy Padbury, just refer to her as uh, uh, Mrs. Cooper. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The future Mrs. Cooper. Yeah. Well, we're similar age. That's about to go. There you go. There you go. Ooh, there was another reference in uh, the Stolen Earth where the Doctor vaguely referenced the Dalek, the, the Dalek invasion of Earth. Oh yeah. Very that vaguely. One. He mentioned that the Daleks were... Someone was trying to move the Earth before. Mm. Yes, he did. Very vague reference. Yes. All right. Uh, okay. Darth. Be here all day, trying to listen all, I guess. Yeah. Darth. Oh. Darth. Anything to add, Darth? He's unmuted himself. Oh, you're muted. <laughs> Bye, guys. I, I do have myself. Bye, Lynn. Oh, Lynn. Thank you. Yeah, I gotta go. I have, I have gifts to wrap, but uh, I'll right. you guys. Have a great Christmas. You, you too. too. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, this is clearly one of the, the greater joys of the new series is the fact that it's not been a complete reboot and that you do have these little things that are sprinkled in, things that will escape the notice of people who are like trying to spoil things by doing these massive spoiler reports or whatever um, because they are just little throwaway moments and they're always by and large almost every one of these things has been funny or memorable or in, in some way special and added something to the show um, I mean I uh, what maybe makes them special for me I guess is that by and large except maybe with reference to Sarah Jane they have really come from the first and second Doctor's era. They've not been um, deep things that have to do with anything past the 1960s, which I find really cool, actually. And especially one of the cooler moments is there at the end of Gridlock, where the Doctor is um, describing Gallifrey, and he uses word-for-word Susan's speech from the Censorites. I just thought that was one of the coolest things ever because it was something that hadn't been done in most of the rest of classic Doctor Who and it took until this era to finally remember this is the original description of Gallifrey which uh, I thought was very, very clever indeed. So yeah, it's it's a lovely thing about new Doctor Who that uh, we have these references to the past and that they're not by and large terribly heavy-handed Of course, that that was the terrible thing, really, in the, especially the Colin Baker era, era, where you almost had to know um, quite intricate details about what happened in episodes that, in fact, had been wiped um, in order to work out exactly what was going on, whereas now they put in just these little references that fans can get, which the casual viewer doesn't need to know about, and it doesn't really affect the actual overall story, but it's just a nice little nod to the fans. Well, I think that's because uh, um, John Nathan Turner employed a uh, a continuity expert. God bless him. Yes. Yeah. All those all those references in like Attack of the Cybermen would have worked so much better if they'd been correct. Like if <laughs> Tuma Cybermen had come out and the case looked the same, that would have given another level to the story. If yeah. we got the videotape of, of uh, the Tenth Planet. And this story melded with meshed with Tenth Planet. If the Cybermen look like some of the early Cybermen, it, very little things. So 
you, they went to all this trouble to put this continuity that would confuse some people, and for people who might get it, who might understand it now or in the future, it's off. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's the worst way to do continuity. If you're that going to nobody. make people focus on continuity, then do it so that it all fits. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, just for Darth, I mean, uh, I was going to leave it, or I can leave it, uh, when we get to the choice which is about describing Gallifrey. I've got a couple of clips of the Doctor describing Gallifrey, but I'll save them till then, if I may. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we will move on. Coming in at number 21, specially shot BBC trailers. Want to come with me? asked Dr. Nine, promising ghosts from the past and aliens from the future, while running away from an an almighty fireball in a scene which, sadly, never made it into the show itself. He promised us the trip of a lifetime, and we believed him. Series 2 was trailered with some specially shot footage of the new Doctor promising us, Think you've seen it all? Think again. But with Season 3, the Beeb was getting very clever with a split-screen affair. The Doctor on one side, Martha on the other. I try to save money, says Martha. I try to save the universe, responds the Doctor. Great stuff. Shame there wasn't one for Season 4. But surely Moffat will create a little gem for his new Doctor. I'll just jump in quickly and say that they're wrong. There was one for Series 4. There was the one with um, Donna on, around the campfire. Um, and then they had the scene that they had the Uggs and Tyrants and the Daleks and the, and the Doctor running away from another fireball. Um, I'll try and find it on YouTube. But yeah, there was one mm. for Series 4. So that's kind of wrong. Yeah, but you appear to be drifting, sweetheart. One. Oh, I'm just waiting for the right man. But what they're talking about is specially shot um, trailers. That was specially shot. That one was. I got to find it. Um, it was around. It was the campfire trailer where you got um. Right, but that's not the doctor. Um, I think that's what they're saying. There, there wasn't a doctor focused uh, special one. Yeah. I guess, but it, it yeah. still was one. It was specially shot. So right. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Television idents come into this. Um, no, they, well, they didn't mention anything about the idents, but the idents are a beautiful thing. Um, and they well, said about the Christmas one, the better. <laughs> well, oh, I quite like it. It's, it's the horrible, Christmas idents horrible, are gorgeous, horrible, but I quite like it. It's cheesy as all. It's Jeez. absolutely fun. Christmas. It's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Oh no! Whoa. I cringe. <laughs> in no way it. fits in. In, in no way fits in with the whole kind of uh, the Doctor being in the middle of his angst or anything to do with the actuality of Doctor Who. But it exactly. Make me laugh. Reindeer are now cannon. <laughs> Reindeer are cannon. Have you all? All right. Crashing on. Yeah, do we want to play another clip, Ian? I think we should have. Do you have one clip? Uh, yeah, I've got one. the one from the minute time lord. Okay, here we go. Hello, Luke here from the Minute Doctor Who podcast. And I am the Cyberlinger from episode 8 of the Minute Doctor Who podcast. We'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes, this Christmas will be a triumph for the cyber race as we invade Earth, and in the new year many of you listeners will be converted into Cybermen. My colleague has informed me that our plans will come to nothing due to an unfortunate conjunction of the Nemesis statue and Voga, the planet of gold. 
So once again, have a wonderful holiday, and if you want to get hold of the backing track from this promo and help keep the X Factor off Christmas number one, then please visit zangproductions.co.uk. Moving on, Murray Gold's music. Okay, he has his detractors, but uh, mostly, uh, mostly the problem with his music has been that the sound balance levels, rather than Gold's work, uh, it seems that the director's sitting in editing suites with all the latest sound tech around them. Forget that most of us at home have much more basic systems than uh, the sounds. Uh, what sounds great in the super-duper surround 4.0 often becomes more of an oral onslaught pumped out of a small TV set at home. But, gripe over, Gold has given us some stunning, emotional, and truly cinematic themes over the years. Pieces that underscore the action perfectly and sound great in isolation, too. Uh, some of our faves are his Pirates of the Caribbean-esque All the Strange, Strange Creatures, and the one that is used uh, whenever the Doctor gets all heroic. Uh, the Ennio uh, Morricone, I'm mispronouncing that horribly, I'm sure, inspired score to Rose's Farewell and the, and, and the Melancholy... Melancholy... Oh, the beautiful bit. <laughs> God, I'm dripping over my tongue big time here today. God, this is the last time I take the speaking job. <laughs> Uh, the uh, Dream of a Normal Death uh, from Family of Blood and let's uh, big up Song for Ten again Bring uh, let's bring up Song for Ten again too yes I love Song for Ten but I have to agree um, I tend to find that the, the music comes over very very loud um, and almost drowns out oh, some, wow. of the, some of the some of the um, the lines yeah, it's like. Mm. There is one, but, but his there music is, is beautiful. Yeah. The, the thing is, of course, when it's working well, you don't really notice it. Right. It's it, it's like uh, like the special effects. I mean, um, until Darth had mentioned about the uh, the pyros and the flames being difficult to do CGI, I almost didn't think of the flames as being part of the CGI. You know what I mean? It's um, right. I'm not thinking they let lo- lo- lit lots of little models and set them on fire, but the point is, if it's working with the music, it enhances the whole program, but you don't actually focus on it that much. But I think one or two times it has been a little overpowering, but I would say 90% of the time it's added leaps and bounds to the emotional content of uh, many, many of the episodes. Oh, yeah. Darth. Yeet. <laughs> Murray Gold, huh? Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that by and large, he's he's um, he's done a really fantastic job. I mean, certainly bringing back, or maybe bringing for the first time, the idea of themes to Doctor Who. That's not entirely 
fair. I suppose there were a couple of themes. There was definitely a Cyberman theme. There was definitely a Master theme early on in the 70s. But by and large, we, we never had a thing that could be called, truthfully, the Doctor's theme. Um, and, and, and the idea of giving properly scoring the work, um, that's been a, a lovely part of this modern Doctor Who. I do think, however, he has lost it a bit um, in the last year. I'm not quite sure why, but I, I have found some of his work to be derivative of himself, um, and sometimes just really off-putting, um, especially as I've discussed in other places, Waters of Mars, I thought he missed a lot of beats that um, bugged me. I think it might be, however, because he's trying not to create that much more new music um because if it's true he's coming back for season five, he might be trying to save some of his creative juices in order to come up with brand new themes for this new series. I, I don't know, but I have found over the course, of, especially of these specials, that he's tended to reuse some stuff um, in a way that has bugged me more so than bugged me at all, or that I even noticed. I mean, in the first... Um, three years, easily. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, some of his stuff for Tooth and Claw, I think, is just a masterwork. I really love that score. Um, I I love the stuff from Doomsday, you know? I mean, there's really good stuff that's in there, but um, yeah, of Charlie late, 79. he's been less impressive. Yeah, yeah Charlie Knight, 79, and Figs mentioned the girl in the fireplace score. But, I mean, yes, of course. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the guy must have come up with, what, about 100 hours of music by now? I mean, uh, gosh. Maybe. I mean, uh, that might be a bit much. Uh, well, well, a lot of it won't make it into the show, presumably. Yeah, but I think he's gotten to a point where he's got so many themes that he, to some extent, is sort of lost in his own themes and he kind of needs to clear the slate and I, I mean I'm certainly hoping that that's what happens in season 5 um, but yeah I mean seriously if you if you really listen to Waters of Mars individually I think you see there is a heavy reuse of themes in a way that's a little bit detracting and, and some of the new stuff is just random and, and not nearly as good as some of the stuff that he's done in the past but yeah, by and large, Murray Gold, awesome stuff. Excellent. Anybody else? I love his. I love his music. What can I say? It's on my iPod. I listen to it all the time. <laughs> um, that's really all I can mention. Other than uh, I think personally, I think the score for Last of the Time Lords is one of my favorites. It's the one that always sticks in my head. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, and before Randall comes in, sorry, Ian, we must yeah. mention. I mean, they did that whole. Um, proms event with right. Doctor Who music. I mean, so it shows that it was, you know, it could be scored and played by an orchestra, mm. and that proved a, a really brilliant uh, entertainment. Yeah. Mike? You music? can barely hear you, sir. There, I'm back. <laughs> I am back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another episode that had really unique music, which I mentioned in the chat here, was Impossible Planet Satan Pit. It, the, the the themes there were... I don't think they've used those in any other story. And it was just really great. It was a really great score throughout the story. 
Awesome. Yeah, Anyone? No, they haven't. I've, I've got a, I've got an absolutely crazy memory for things like this about like what music is used in what episode and in what scene. So a friend of mine will listen, will listen to the soundtrack and she'll go, "What's that used in?" And I'll tell her like the exact scene and the exact episode and what's happening in the scene. I'm actually not sad actually, but anyway, it's one of my uh, special talents for some reason. I can just go yeah. listen to a bit of music. I'm going, "Yep, that's from that scene. That's happening." It's, yeah. <laughs> a bit weird. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on? Oh, Charlie also mentions the Martha Jones theme. Yes, that was a good one. Yes. All my right. favorite was This is Gallifrey. That's my favorite from the entire thing, which was the um, the mask, yeah, the one right. used in Last of the Time. Uh, yeah, I like the uh, the the two Christmas special songs, um, Song for Ten and um, Love Don't Roam. Love Don't Roam. I love Love Don't Roam. That I think that's great. Mm. But anyway, I think we should move on as uh, time is moving on. As we move to number 19, The Weeping Angels. And here is the extremely long description as provided by SFX. Scariest monsters ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've 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 covered them quite a lot in 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 previous shows, so I don't wish to dwell too much because I think we're all pretty much in agreement. But yeah, um, um, very unique. They were scary, but I wasn't as traumatized as some other people were. I I the episode Midnight scared me more than Blink. But um, yeah, they're freaky. But yeah, you don't actually yeah. see the monster in that one. Even better. That's what's yeah. creepy about it. Yeah, and it's just what what happens to the doctor in that. That's what gets me really scared. That what got me really scared to right. begin with. Yeah, because he's out of control and blah. But anyway. Yeah. Anybody else want to make any more comments on the Weeping Angels? I thought they were a really, really clever idea, and you know, I also thought they were really, really cleverly realised. Um, you know, but, um, it wasn't until I saw the Confidential that I realised that they'd actually use people um, to play the Weeping Angels and not just basically made up statues for it. And I like the fact that it it was a very, very subtle and very effective use of um, visual effects in that the main use of visual effects in that episode was just basically to stabilise the angels. Um, and I like that idea because it's one of the things that people sometimes say about visual effects, less is more. And, you know, in this case, it really was. They did nothing more than make these almost perfectly still standing people into absolutely stationary statues. And it just completely made it. Right. Yes. Okay, I think we should press on, unless anybody has anything pressing to uh, add. I was just uh, going to say that um, Blink was such an incredible episode that I'm almost slightly upset, and what, well, not upset, that's overdoing it, but slightly worried that he's going to bring back, bring them back. Yeah. And I just hope he can do as well as he did. Which, which might be a spoiler if it was known to be true, so just in case you're thinking we've been spoiled, that's supposition in this part of the show. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's just guesswork, yeah. We're thinking he might, but we're not sure. Because this isn't a no, spoiler possibly, section. Possibly not. Possibly not. Oh. 
Couldn't, couldn't possibly say. Yeah, and we we can probably talk about Blink if you want to talk about it more, because one of the other choices in this list is um, Doctor Light episode. So you might want to come back and talk about it in that little section of the list. But that's number nine. Dashing off to number eighteen. It made bad ideas work. The ability of the show to turn the tide on <laughs> of teeth-gnashing fan opinion has been simply awesome. A pop singer is a companion? It'll be a disaster! Two years later, it's, Billy, don't leave us! Surely Catherine Tate was going to be dire, though. The ratings will plummet. Um, no. She was one of the best companions ever. And ratings grew. Generally, fans were happy to admit they were uh, wrong to worry, with only a few surly, diehard fans refusing to change their opinion. But forums would be a duller place without them. Mm. I remember my wife saying, Oh, no, they're not bringing her back. And I said, just wait and see what they do with her. And I must admit, she's... Uh, the new Of the new series, she is my favorite companion. And okay, she... Yeah. As, as overall, com- over you know, um, new and classic who, she ranks up there on my on my list of favorite companions. She probably drops in at second or third. Um, she's in the top five. Yeah, she's. Five. Uh, I was glad to see the back end of Rose, fa- frankly. Um, yeah, she's a chap. <laughs> yeah, but that, that and, was a disservice and, to Rose, really. I mean, that was nothing to do with the the, the companion. It was just that you know she'd no sooner gone forever. Yeah, and she came back, she was back again. And then but that was not the companion's fault. No, no. But I was glad to see that story come to an end, you know, even the first time. I, I thought, well, this has come to a natural conclusion. You know, otherwise, you end up with this ongoing will-they-won't-they, they, which was good for a period of time in Doctor Who, but needed to be moved on from. Um, I had not a problem with it, but... The the show needs to continually change and and change it did. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, talking about Catherine Tate, I must admit I was a very late. Well, I'm not even certain I am a convert. I, I, there's lots about it I don't really like, but I can still admire the 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 uh, what she brought to Doctor Who. I think it was this very shouty, yappy, uh, almost caricature uh, person. I thought it to be in the, her very first appearance, you know, uh, with all the shouting and uh, it, it just seemed too much like um, a, uh, one of her stereotypes from her comedy show. Right. Uh, and then they didn't do her as disservice because I would watch her one episode, oh, she's good. Then I'd watch the next episode, no, she's gone back to shouting. Then she's good, then she's gone back to shouting. But that, of course, was because of the CGI they have to put in it uh, they were filmed in different orders and so on. I think Unicorn and the Wasp was probably her first one, yeah. and and so on. So uh, that made it difficult. I, I couldn't make my mind up whether I liked her or not because she seemed to be different every week. But once she'd settled down into it, then she brought an awful lot. I think Fires of Pompeii was one of my favourite ones of her in, and that was mainly for for the one scene where she gets what the Doctor has to do and helps impress that destruct button. Um, right. And I from then on, I got more and more into her as a character. Right. I, more than more than that part, I, I, I love the fact that... Uh, I love the fact that uh, 
the when she pleads with him at the end to save that one family that that was just that was gorgeous that was just a lovely scene you know her you know pleading with him and, and just I don't know it just yeah and there were some other being... good ones like in um, the Suntaram strategy where she says and I'll have a salute if you don't mind yeah. <laughs> and then she works out by going in the files what was wrong with the staff yeah. super temp <laughs> Donna is just plain awesome she pones everybody she's just I don't. I just cannot express how much I think Donna is just plain awesome. She's just awesome. I, I'm afraid I cannot stress how much I find her plain awful. Uh, okay, she's my she's my second least favorite companion ever after Mel, obviously. Oh, you're an Adric fan? Uh, even Adric, I prefer, and that's saying something. I have to work at like it, but I think I mean like uh, when she was in um, turn left, that was another good one where she's oh. standing with that pack on her back, and she's saying, "All right, so I won't die. It'll just be me in a different universe when this happens, you know." And all the sort of concerns. I mean, of course, it's the dialogue that the writers give her, but um, you know, you're gonna be able to deliver it. I was so hmm. busy uh, enjoying Wilf. That, that probably uh, that was what overshadowed Catherine a little bit for me. Right. I mean, I, th- I think she was she's a very good actress, and I'm not saying that um, that she didn't do very well. It's just something about her voice and face <laughs> that made me feel somewhat ill. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh and and you know, I I did in really enjoy Turn Left as a story, um, but it had just obviously far too much Donna in it. Um, and I also thought it was it was a, a lovely change to have a companion who didn't fancy the pants off the doctor, right? Um, yeah. And to have an older companion, and I thought all that all that stuff worked really well. And I I wanted to like her, um, and I'm a bit like Dave. There's the odd story where where she was a bit more subtle, and but then she'd start being all Donna again. Yep. Darth's being very quiet on this one. Yeah, because I think this is a very category to talk about. I mean, it's highly subjective, as we've just seen. Um, There there are some objective facts here. Yes, in fact, Connie Minogue did produce a a, um, very well-rated episode. Yes, indeed, Donna did produce better ratings than any other companion of the modern era. Um, So from an objective standpoint, it can indeed be said that these ideas which look bad on the face of things did turn out to be ratings winners, did turn out to have some resonance with the general public, and that therefore this modern team can make apparently bad ideas work. That does not make me like Kylie Minogue any better. Um, that, That apparently does not make know other people like Donna any better I personally never understood the whole hoopla about Catherine Tate I think she's fabulous um, mm-hmm. I think Me too. She, um, appeals in a weird way to an American sensibility because you know the shoddy thing is what a lot of people do here <laughs> um, and at least she was rational about it in a way that Tegan never was um, so I, I found her to be quite Reasonable, Kylie. Though I will never get over that performance. I just think it was horrible. Um, 
and I think it was a very cynical sort of casting. And it did exactly what the, the casting idea should have done in that it brought people from various streams into watching the show for the highest ratings ever on Christmas Day. Um, but it was still, I think, to me at least, it was still a very bad performance. Um, she just can't act as far as I can see. It wasn't offensive. It wasn't like, you know, Ace bad or Adric bad. <laughs> whoever, or Perry bad, surely. But it was just very um, by the books, I think. Very medium. So, you know, the, on the one hand, there, there is this idea that they're very smart, I think, Russell T. Davies in particular, about figuring out what ideas will actually bring good ratings and good success to the show. Um, but as far as whether I can fully on board for the result of those ideas, I don't know. I, I have been more than not. But, you know, it, it's it's a highly subjective thing, I think, this one category that we're talking about. Well, I mean, I think I think for, for, for what they're getting at, yeah, I mean, not everybody got on board with all the ideas. But when you look at the overall press part of it and the fact that so many fans and so many people were like, I can't believe they're doing this, and then it ends up turning out to be not all that bad. I mean, whether it's you know a ratings winner or um, an artistic success is is another matter. But from going to a this is a completely stupid idea to oh it wasn't that bad. But is, you know what's is, in- is a win, you know. Um, but the, the flip side of this is something that they're not mentioning, which is the thing that fandom apparently wants most is usually a ratings loser. That is to say, Stephen Moffat. Right. Constantly across the four, four seasons, and yes, it may have something to do with that episodes Oops. have heretofore happened. You keep, you keep dropping out. But, you know, heretofore... The, the Stephen Moffat episodes have happened during the summer, and so that makes them... I'm dropping, aren't I? I can't hear something. Yeah, yeah. you How did Time Crash do? But, well, Time Crash... That, that did all right, right? I mean, during, during the knee. Um, I'm sorry, I, I can hear it going... Yeah, click, Perhaps we can come back to Darfin, because we, we, we are lo- losing... A lot of a lot of what he's trying to say. Can we come back to you, Darth? Oh. Sure. I'll just throw up something quickly um, about the the fan reaction about when Matt Smith was announced as the eleventh Doctor. How everyone was going, "Oh, he's too young." And um, again, I just can see all those people saying that eating their hats come series five, where you just got to wait and see what he does. Same with Billy Parker, same with Kathleen Tate, really. That's my approach. I just go, okay, you know, let's see what they do. You know, yeah, then I'll exactly. judge it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Ian, if, I think we need to move on if we possibly can. Do you, have you got a thing to play? Yes, I have. And this one is from our very own Romana 2. Sit long, I apologize. Hello, boys and girls. This is Lady President Romana 2 and Castellan Cat of the Gallifrey Time Love Brigade wishing you a merry, merry Christmas from the Gallifrey Time Love Brigade and the Wailing Fangirl Podcast. May you have lots of um, time love. Yep. 
<laughs> Lots of time, love, yes. We're looking forward to Christmas to the end of time. Yes, sort of in a way. Sort of in a way, <laughs> but also kind of dreading it also. Yeah. Needless to say, we're stocking up on tissues. Yes. There's going to be a lot of crying coming out of this podcast <coughs> in the next few episodes, needless to say. But, um... But yeah, we're also sticking up on tissues for another reason. <laughs> Kinky master. Oh, yeah. Um yeah, we've seen a new picture of the master that came out today and needless to say, um uh Russell, what are you trying to do to us? <laughs> He's trying to explode our brains or something. It's some neuro implosion. Neuro implosion, yes, to the max. <laughs> anyway, we'll also be wearing black on yeah. New Year's Day, won't we? Mm. We're going to mourn the doctor. Yeah. Mourn, <laughs> mourn, Dr. Huddy. Yeah. But life Aww. must go on, <laughs> sadly. So, yes, wrapping up, um, where can you find our podcast to hear us, more of us rambling like this? Um, you can find us on TalkShoe, of course. The call ID is WW8. And also on iTunes. And also we have a brand new website, which is still in progress, but most of it's up there. It's um, thewailingfangirl.wordpress.com. Is our brand new website. Huzzah! Jasmine! <laughs> See, that's us. This is, this is um, Romana 2 and... And Castellan Cat. Wishing you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> girls. Girls and boys. Girls and boys, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And can we just uh, check Darth? He's back in the room with audio. Yep. Darth, come in, Darth. Uh-oh. I hear clickety-click. No, you don't. Hello. You really... That's very strange. Oh, I can hear my... Oh. Okay, can we... Well, you sort that out. Can we move on to the next one, then? Yes, moving on up or down the list, depending on how you're uh, situated. <laughs> Coming in at number 17, making British sci-fi joyous for a change. Traditionally, British TV sci-fi has been dour and cynical, from quite a mess to Blake 7 and Survivors. Things have been grim and Ready desperate. And desperate. <laughs> but you... who? <laughs> What was that, Dave? I just want to enjoy that bit of being grim, <laughs> grim and desperate. And desperate. Grim up here. <laughs> but New Who's been full of joyous, uplifting, life-affirming moments. As the fourth Doctor said, what's the point of being grown up if you can't be childish? And New Who has reawakened our sense of wonder with outlandish aliens and audaciously silly concept. You will believe a TARDIS can tow the Earth back into orbit, or that aliens can look like rhinos, or the Doctor could ride a horse through a mirror, or that your teachers could be flying reptiles, or maybe not. But you'll want to believe it. Yeah, and of course Ian has fully uh, adopted that. Um, what's the point of being grown up if you can't be childish? Childish. Or if you can't have a glass of wine. Um, <laughs> well, that makes me childish. <laughs> yeah, I get a drink with them. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest devising one of that was the um, the one where uh, the TARDIS tows the earth. Some people thought that was uh, perhaps, you know, for the kids, other people, and I think you were one of those, Ian, just thought mm -hmm. it was an awesome demonstration of what the TARDIS could do full pelt. 
Exactly. I mean, here is this thing that can... Uh, this is what bugs me about people who go, well, that's not good science, or, you know, oh, that's not, that's not possible. <laughs> it's science fiction for crying out loud. The TARDIS yeah. is bigger on the inside, and you can't get yourself around the concept that this, that this awesome machine that can travel everywhere in time and space can also tow a planet. Yeah, I got. I mean, it had the rift as a tow rope. Who knows how rifts yeah. in time and space work? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if somebody can explain to me the the mechanics of both a TARDIS and the rift, then and, and explain <laughs> to me how it can't work, then I'll I'll listen. You know, but it's science fiction. I'm Pretty sorry. Much. Yeah, um, I know. I know. Lewis had uh, problems with. Uh, I think it was forty-two. Uh, forty-two. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, it's science fiction. What do you want? <laughs> Here's a man from another planet that, you know, when he dies, he regenerates into somebody completely new. You explain the mechanics of that, and then I'll let you have your problems with forty-two. <laughs> Yeah, the the funny thing is, and uh, for the people who obviously can't see it while we're talking, um, the clip that they use to illustrate that is the Doctor uh, on horseback jumping through the mirror that separates the two time zones of uh, being on the uh, on the spaceship and the uh, girl in the fireplace, you know. And um, to me, <laughs> I mean, it sounds silly. I thought it was very good him on the horseback jumping. Mm. The thing that I had trouble with him was then he winked. <laughs> I like that. It's, I thought, it's I thought that, that was Fantastic. a bit too much. <laughs> he, linked, he, he winked and he did that little tongue thing that he does. He does how often goes, he's like, look at me, I'm on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually one of my... Um, that's probably like the first scene that my son truly like loved. Every time we, he, he wanted, every time I watched it again, he would pop his head out of the room uh, for that. Um yeah, that and the horse following him around the ship was was just Ooh, fun now too. that was a real science fiction. That was a real um, what, what's the called the the idea you know on the ship and suddenly there's a horse out of nowhere. That was real, you know, um, oh, yeah. Twilight Zone stuff, wasn't it? <laughs> He's just wandering around and all of a sudden there is a horse. How'd <laughs> you get in here? <laughs> all right, anybody? Uh, I also don't make any comments on that because we're just you know it's just me, Dave, and Romana. Oh, Logan has arrived. Hello, Logan. I like Charlie P. Um, 79 um, comment in chat where uh, we're talking about science fiction. Christopher H. Smith's head just exploded. That's <laughs> <laughs> what real science. I have to mention that. Yeah. We're still getting clicky, clicky, clicky. Yeah, ju just for Logan, just to let him know that... Um, oh, uh, yeah, we're up to number 17 on the list uh, we're, we're, we're moving as fast as we can yes. and uh, you can tell us about that film later perhaps after the recording yes okay. anybody else want to make any comments on number 17 apart from Darth who's having issues well he's back on the call we can try him again on yes. end, maybe we can we can we can have Darth catch up on the list since he did actually oh. supply us with this information so Coming in twice. Hmm. What happened? Um, oh, are you there? Hello You're there. Oh. Hello, sir. All right then. Oh, there he is. 
Don't we have to 17? Oh, yes. Make yeah. It, yeah. Well, I think that's true. I mean, especially... There's an awful lot of British science fiction that really has nothing to do with um, being fun or whatever. Seven. Terribly dour. Um, even stupid... What's that stupid comedy program? Red Dwarf. I'm sorry. Comedy in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff as well. I don't think it is. It is nice to have a positive show coming written of any stripe. It really doesn't fiction, but not have you know surly or sarcastic or, or whatever. But but purely there for fun. very good thing. You're barely hanging in there, but we got you. <laughs> Really, that's very disappointing. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean we caught a, a, a good a good chunk of it this time. So, well, I can't do anything else. I've done yeah. everything I could do over here. So, it's what you get. Oh yeah. All right, moving on to number sixteen. Vote Saxon, and the way it led to spontaneous fan-led viral marketing. Admitted, you stuck a poster up in your local shopping center, didn't you? No. I still have one on my wall. <laughs> if I could take a photo, I'd show it. It's on my wall next to my computer. Mm. I got a vote Saxon poster. <laughs> yeah, and of course, really, the, it's the main um, one that that, that uh, he highlights. One or two of other times when he uh, they seeds an idea early on, and you don't quite know why it's where, there, like how important the doctor's hand was, or something like that. Right. But it's seeded right at the beginning, and, and then it pays dividends. Uh, and it's not even referred to to start with, is it? It's in the background and completely um, just be allowed there for the for the fans to see it. Right. Um, I, I remember watching one of the Torchwood stories way back. And, yeah, uh, I was going to uh, mention the, that. There was, there was the, one on the Captain Jack one. Well. Yeah, it was Captain on the Jack Duff. Office, episode yeah. 12, series one, yeah. But of course, then you start looking for other things. I, I remember the, there was one where... Uh, Jack uh, and Gwen go into a side alley looking for that live creature and, and there's um, like dummy's legs sitting out of a dumpster and I'm thinking now I wonder if that's something to do with it and I wonder if that'll come back and you know <laughs> you're looking for clues that aren't there yeah, after yeah, a while yeah. Uh, like yeah weirdly enough also in Torture there's a bad wolf reference actually in the same episode as the Vote Saxon one it's in the Bath Hill dance hall graffitied on the wall which is kind of interesting mm. Mm. I didn't notice for like years, and then all of a sudden I noticed it. It's like, ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't see why this is listed anywhere. Uh, I mean, there are the the pieces that that have been laid down, you know, like Bad Wolf and Vote Sacks and 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 things that have just been kind of laid in there, and and various stories that pay off later, which would have been a a better. Um, number sixteen, rather than just vote Saxon. Um, mm. It was uh, okay. It was there, and so. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> vote Tyler says Charlie. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we'll move on to number fifteen. Okay. It's okay to cry. In the, entire, in the entire history of the original show, there were probably only three truly tear-jerking moments. 
but New Who has been unapologetically full of them. Rose's farewell, Donna's fate, Pete Tyler's sacrifice, Sarah Jane turning down the offer to travel with the Doctor again, but the biggest weep-fest of all has to come in the final few minutes of Family of Blood in which writer Paul Carnell keeps ramping things up, John Smith's lost future, Joan refusing to join the Doctor, until the final whammy, the Poppy Day memorial scene, leaves even the coldest-hearted cynic a bubbling wreck. For me, it was when K-9 blew up. <laughs> and uh, when when uh, Rose had to... Uh, when Rose's dad got run over again. Uh, that, oh, what about Donna having a mind wipe? Mm, that didn't make me cry as much. The the Pete Tyler's demise in in Father's Day was one of the most gut wrenching um, episodes of New Who for me. Um, maybe because it's I'm a parent and you know that's why. But to me that was that was it. That was the big tearjerker for me. And even even what? to a certain uh, certain point. Uh, uh, the girl in the fireplace was a, a bit of a tearjerker as well, you know. Uh, well, he, I mean, we're going to talk about him later. Um, yes. Uh, Wilf, who comes in uh, at number thirteen, but even this little bit got me a little bit uh, bleary-eyed. You can't see the stars. Then bring a bit of them back for your grabs. Yeah, it seems like it seems like they they were trying to get Donna to Catherine Dead to cry in like every single episode of series four. Right. Was there one where she didn't? <laughs> Actually, the one, one of the I just remembered another one. Um, uh, when he does when he takes the Donna home, and it wasn't him taking her home or the explanation while he's sitting in their living room or the fact she doesn't recognize him. It's the salute from Wilf. Mm. As the doctor departs, was just just, and it's all down to um, to his portrayal. It's just uh, Bernard Cribbins is just fantastic. I I think, and that that scene is just you know, you just love the man. Well, we're not far from his. We might make that. I don't know if we'll make all the list. Um, do you want to play? Have we just got one more, apart from our own at the very end? Have we just got uh, one more Christmas greeting to get out? Um, yes, uh, but first, could you unmute uh, Mr. Uh, Alt Skeptical? Oh, he's trying it. He's had more comebacks than Rose Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Dark. Hello. Well, then. No, I mean, mute the other one. No, don't mute the other one. I've got him here. But, um, no, I mean, this is, it's kind of ridiculous that this is, you know, list that otherwise proclaims itself to tell us about minor things in Doctor Who that they like about the new series. Because really, this is at the crux of the matter. This is the difference between old Doctor Who and new Doctor Who that you actually care enough to cry about people. You care enough to in any way be emotionally involved in any character of Doctor Who, which really didn't happen before. You might have laughed before. You might have been slightly scared if you were very young. But to actually be involved with the characters in a meaningful way is something that is at the very heart of what it means to be watching an episode of New Doctor Who. Um, but it, 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 
the glorious thing. I just, uh, I, I cannot get over how brave Russell T. Davies was in taking us in this direction. Especially on the fireplace, you know, to take us to a, a place where you could plausibly believe that the doctor was actually in love with somebody. And just in, uh, just a human. Um, and there are many, many more examples. Caring about the companions, caring about the companions' families, all of that um, is just extraordinary. And, and really the thing that sets this series apart from its predecessor. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that it should be higher up. Yeah, the only one yeah. I can think of is the um, the the farewell of the the third Doctor um, a couple of times really when he's is is sneaking out of the wedding, and then of course when he confronts after he's confronted the Great Spider, uh, when he's um, regenerating and it's a tear Sarah Jane, you know, mm. but there are there are few and far between where. Um, Getting wringing emotion out of this seems to be um, Russell T. Davis' is, uh, uh, aim in life, really. Mm-hmm. And good aim it is. <laughs> exactly. Okay, um, do All we want right. to play another Christmas greeting? Yeah. I think we shall. This one is what? from our very own Randall Thor. Richard Clayderman at the piano, taking us back a long time. <laughs> Probably John Tesh, <laughs> as Charlie says. Uh, Alrighty. Right. Oh, sorry, Dave. What? what? I was going to say the next one, fourteen. I'll I'll just take over for a minute, if I may. A, a glimpse oh, yeah. of Gallifrey, the CGE 
FX providers of the mill outdid themselves with this one, bringing true majesty, mysticism and a sense of wonder to such an important part of the Who mythology. It certainly wiped all memories of the MFI Gallifrey of Ark of Infinity. And of course it was the homage to the the uh, the uh, cloaks and the uh, the Time Lord uniform. There was lovely Dome City. And uh, if I may, I've got two little clips here of the Doctor describing uh, Gallifrey. I think I've got them in the right order. Apologies if I haven't. Already. I lied to you. Because I lied to I could pretend. Just for a bit, I could imagine they were still alive. Underneath a burnt orange sky. I'm not just the time lord. I'm the last of the time lords. Face if I was wrong, there's no one else. What happened? People fought a race called the Daleks for the sake of all creation, and they lost. They lost, and no one lost. They're all gone now. My family, my friend, even that sky. Oh, I should have seen it, that old planet. would rise in the south and the mountains would shine. The leaves on the trees were silver. When they caught the light every morning, it looked like a forest on fire. When the autumn came, played him in the wrong order that's the speech right at the end of gridlock that actually made that episode to me you know double doubled its rating just for that little speech so let me play the one before which is where he's offering to take martha on another little journey a different planet can we go to yours ah it's only like places oh, come on no i mean planet of the time lords that's got to be worth a look what's it like well, it's beautiful yeah is it like, you know, outspace cities, all spires and stuff? Well, it is. Great big temples and cathedrals? Yeah. Lots of planets in the sky? The sky's burnt orange. With a citadel enclosed in a mighty glass dome. Shining under the twin suns. Beyond that, the mountains go on forever. Slopes of deep red grass. Can we go there? Nah, where's the fun for me? I don't want to go home. Stay. You're five million and fifty-three planet. Check out the mankind. 
50,000 light years from your old world, and we're slap bang in the middle of New New York. Although, technically, it's 50 years from York City original, so it's New 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 York. One of the most dazzling cities ever built. And it's a wonder, really, there isn't another one, 28, David Tennant's acting. Um, but I'm sorry I played those in the wrong order there. Um, so, um, anybody, any thoughts on Gallifrey, the glimpse of Gallifrey, the descriptions? I know Darth mentioned it earlier. It was lovely to see Gallifrey, and it didn't look like an airport terminal, definitely. Um <laughs> like in Arcus Infinity, just seemed to be people sitting around on couches, really. No, it was beautiful. I loved it, and I loved that whole scene because I loved the music that's played underneath so, so much. And it's just... Yeah, yeah. can I say, it's nice to see Gallifrey in the actual the actual thing. I just wish we could see more of it. Okay, and Tim's thing. joined us in the room. Uh, we're up to number 14, Tim. Um, and there's the link to the page. And I should just say to people who are listening to this later, if you've enjoyed listening to this and would like to join us live, we record these on Sundays at 3pm Eastern Standard Time on Talk Show ID 54821 and you can dial in on the phone number 724-444-744 and if you've caught this on one of our web pages or on the Facebook page, uh, why not subscribe to us on iTunes uh, this is episode number 21 of the live shows and there are about three or four studio shows that Ian, the Six Doctor and myself, Dave AC uh, have done uh, just to add into it but um, we're talking about the FS 27 things that FSX loves about New Who uh, and we're up to 14 counties backwards um, so anyone else want to go after Romana? Well, I've always found that the depiction of Gallifrey in the new series is actually somewhat problematic. Um, yeah, I'll grant that there is some lovely CGI that went on there in uh, the one little episode in which we get to see it. But the concept of Gallifrey is something that we're apparently going to see a little bit uh, in the next couple of weeks, and it'll be interesting to see what Russell C. Davies' final statement is on it. But... Throughout, I've always had a very hard time buying that Doctor is so emotive about being the last of the Time Lord, given that he has willfully run away from these people his entire life. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can say, sure, when we run away from things, we still have some connection to them. That would be terrible. Like if we're running away from our parents, if our parents were to die, that would be horrible and all that stuff. But still we have been trained, if you've been watching Doctor Who from the beginning or from a very long time ago, that the Doctor does not have a good relationship with his people. And indeed, when we have seen his people, they have tended to be rather unpleasant. So, for me, it's been a real problem throughout these four years accepting that the Doctor might, in fact, actually love his people enough to care that he's the last of them. Right. I think we'll, it's we'll um, the whole. F- yeah, I think it's the whole thing is that you don't appreciate what you have until it's gone. Yeah. So um, I I have a feeling it's something along those lines where it's just pretty much you know you realize oh it's all gone now oh should have realized what I had I don't know it could be debated of course. Yeah, I, I mean it would if there were, had just been some sense of having a friend. Okay, you got Romana, I suppose, and you've got 
one or two speakers maybe there in the background, but the fact that there's not really that much camaraderie ever displayed in the series, it just makes it hard for me to, to go along with all of this emotion of being the last of your kind. Uh, and, and I've never really bought the whole there's no way you can go back and alter anything. Like that's never been fully explained enough for me. Uh, and why it was such a terrible cause for Dalek or what, Khan or whoever go back and fight right his mind to enter into the time war. Um, I don't know. I hope we get some sort of definition in the, these next two episodes that give us greater insight into this Gallifrey because right now all it really is is a, a pretty image and some fairly contradictory emotions going on with the place. Okay. Um, uh, Ian, are you back? You want to? Yes. Uh, I mean, my my reaction to seeing it—it uh, it was really cool to see it. But it's one of those things. It's like reading a description of something in a book, and then somebody uh, then going and turning that book into a movie, and it not really kind of meeting your expectations. In a way, there's there's something to be said for 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 not seeing outside of Gallifrey. All we'd seen up until that point was, you know, inside and of course the death zone. Um and you, you get, you know, uh, descriptions um uh, of of what Gallifrey was like and, and that to me seemed to be enough. Um but now we've got this image, um uh, and uh, you know, in a way it kinda of takes away the, some of the mystery for me. But that's about it. Okay, uh, Tim, you've just come back in. Well, just joined us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I did give you apologies. I thought I had um, an apology from you about arriving, but um, you, have you listened to enough to jump in at this point? We're talking about the glimpse of Gallifrey. Um, well, for me, I think it was good to see Gallifrey at last, and to I think I think it was a a cheer moment when we finally saw a Time Lord in the new series. It was an acknowledgement of the classic series, which is long overdue, in my view. Yeah, and I don't know whether you caught that we also played um, David describing Gallifrey as well, a couple of clips of that, which uh, added, added to the actual um, image and CGI of the um, you know the city under the dome. At least gives people who are not aware of the classic series something to latch on to with the the vast civilization that the Time Lords were, you know, prior to the Time Law War. Mm. I haven't really got anything else to add. <laughs> yeah, I realise that. I know I jumped straight on you when you come in. Uh, Randa Thor, you've been quiet for a while. Do you want to come in, Mike? Oh, I've gone shy, Ian. No! <laughs> The, the glimpse of Gallifrey that we got, I, it it worked because as the series has been, as this new series has been progressing, there's been gradually more and more built to not just the the Doctor's story, but the story of Gallifrey. Uh, in Runaway Bride, at the end of that, we finally got, we finally heard mention of Gallifrey by name, and this builds onto that by showing us a glimpse of what uh, the civilization looked like. So it was really neat the way they're building that up. And can't wait to see what they do in the uh, end of time, if there's anything there. But yeah, it's it's the way they've been building up. That's what I like. 
Right, yeah. Uh, now, I'm just going to uh, talk to my co-host a moment, if you'll forgive me. I'm wondering, after we've gone two hours and two minutes now, do, you want to, do we want to just go up to number 10 and stop at 10? And then uh, the Christmas Day, uh, sorry, Boxing Day one, uh, I'm sure people will want to talk about the new episode that will have aired, but we could right. split the programme into half, finish the list off, uh, for those people who haven't seen or won't have then at that point in time seen part one of um, End of Time, we could spend sort of the first hour uh, next week finishing off this list and then the people I that, that didn't like want to be spoiled could leave and we could talk about the the most recent episode. What, is that a plan, Ian, or what? That sounds like gone. a plan to me because, uh, yeah, time is moving on. So we'll go up to... We'll either include 10 or not uh, your decision when we get to it. Right. I think we'll finish on number 11. We'll discuss number 11, and then we'll leave the, the remaining 10 for next week's episode. All right. Any more on Gallifrey? Benjamin. Yeah, sorry, the day after Boxing Day. Thank you, Darth. The day after. And Benjamin, the yeah. 27th, yeah. Uh, and nothing special, really. Just... Huh? Okay. All right. Moving on to number 13. Mr. Wilfred Mott. Apparently, everyone on the crew loved working with Bernard Cribben so much on Voyage of the Damned, he was quickly added to the season four as Donna's granddad. Good thing, too, as we loved watching Bernard Cribben as much as the cast and crew loved working with him. We look forward to more Wilf in the final Tenant two-parter, and all credit to Cribbins for coming up with the paintball gag in the stolen earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's it's a bittersweet thing having um, Bernard join the cast, of course, because, uh, um, and I cannot remember the actor's name, but the gentleman playing... Uh, Howard Axel. Donald- Howard... I'm going to get it wrong. Howard Axel? Yeah. Uh, you're right there. Yes. Um, was I yeah, right? Um, wow. Yes. Yeah. Howard Atfield unfortunately uh, was yeah. was uh, quite ill, and uh, he did actually do some filming on um, season four, uh, but uh, uh, soon after uh, the beginning of filming, he uh, unfortunately passed on, um, and so they uh, came up with Bernard Cribbins to uh, become. Donna's granddad and, and take on the, that role um, which was done beautifully and, and so tied up into uh, into Voyage of the Downed which just uh, made it well, all the sweeter but Dave has clip clip. that <laughs> oh, oh scared right yes London at Christmas it's not safe is it why well it's them up above Christmas before last, we had that big bloody spaceship, everyone standing on the roof. And then last year, we had that Christmas star electrocuting all over the place, draining the Thames. Amazing. Yeah, this year, God knows what. So everybody's scarpered. Two very short ones. <laughs> very short. What? <laughs> so short with that. Aliens. I said they was real. I just didn't expect them in a little blue box. Uh, I realised that the other one I'd, I'd played before, but I'll play it again because I like it. You can't see the stars. 
then bring a bit of them back for your grabs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, great. Absolutely great. Yep. He's fantastic. Uh, I don't know what more can be said. It's just I'm, I'm just very very happy that there is. Um, been such a, a, a oh, fan lovery of of Bernard Cribbins and Doctor Who. He's, uh, I mean, well loved outside of the show, and so um, for him coming into the cast, I, I couldn't actually believe, even though I was happy about it, I couldn't believe how many fans are looking forward to um, Wilfred Mott going. And being a companion for um, I just he's fantastic. Next. Yep. Okay, anybody? What about uh, the High Minister? Oh, well, Bernard Cribbins is just um, fantastic. Um, I've always loved him. He used to do um, Jack and Ori on the BBC uh, children's television um, and ever since then really I've just been a massive fan and of course in the 60s he had all his um, singles out right so Fred let's have an avatar you break it there you go couldn't uh, leave it couldn't even shift it we had a cup of tea and Charlie had a cup of tea I've never met I don't think Dave's familiar with it at all. No, good. Well, I never thought he would. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he is, he's just... uh, He's in the Railway Children as well. The film Railway Children. Yeah, and and, uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth. Was it Dalek Invasion of Earth or was it the other one? Yeah, Dalek Invasion of Earth, 2150 AD. Oh, yes. And the Wombles, of course. Um, Oh, yes. I don't think it's too much to say that he's a national treasure really um, exactly. and I can't wait to see him in the Christmas special um, yeah that's I, 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 I can't say enough about how great um, Bernard Cribbins is very 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 much excited about him being in the Christmas special uh, yes great <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin I really like Bart Cribbins in this, and I have a theory about what his role in the last two episodes, which I have put in chat a couple times. My personal hunch is that he's another Bob-watched person. Uh. Now, this could be from watching Dollhouse and remembering the War Games in quick succession, both stories in which people's minds get played around with and remapped and reused and recycled. Uh, interesting crossover there by the way between those two but um, I just think it would be really neat if Wolfred just opened up a watch at a critical moment wow we'll find out he's Rathalon that's my theory <laughs> or the Rani um, uh, I honestly don't think so <laughs> <laughs> the trouble is of course if he did that he would probably end up regenerating into a, mm. a newer younger version maybe the battling monk <laughs> <laughs> Wolf is Drax, yes. Any more? Any more? We don't need him to be. A, we don't need him to be a time lord. I think what makes him so fun in the first place is that he's so ordinary and down to earth and human, and he's probably the best character that 
Russell's created since he brought back the show is Wolf. Although that's a stretch, actually. It's between Wolf and Donna, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not enough good things can be said about Wolf and about Bernard Cribbins, because he's just playing awesome. Well, I remember when he... Great. Yeah? When when he first showed up just selling newspapers and the doctor's buying a newspaper, I went, that's Bernard Cribbins. Bernard Cribbins is in... (laughs) It was such a surprise at first. Yeah. And then to have him to have him for a whole season, it, albeit on and off, was just such a luxury. It he bought his great. own costume too. That was all his own. Yeah, stuff. he brought he, he brought a box of props like with like yeah. Polly on his um, oh, yeah. beanie and everything. Um, what I love a little moment I love about Wolf is you, I love the fact that he's a stargazer and he's always up on the hill with the telescope. And in Partners in Crime, he's looking like the other way. As the adipose spaceship is flying past, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that moment, it's brilliant. It's well all over. It's yeah, when, the big thing. So I can't wait to see him on the TARDIS in Chris, at Christmas time. When Rose does that gun, he wants to swap guns with her. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's great. And another another great line was um the webcam when Rose is with the subways network and. She's going, oh, do you have a webcam? It's like, she won't let me. They're naughty. <laughs> <laughs> she says they're naughty. <laughs> oh, I thought it's for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not enough love can be shown for Bernie Cribbins and Wilfred Mott. No, they're both great. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to do a little bit of a spoiler here. There is uh, a, a little clip that they've shown oh, yeah. of, of, of uh, Wilf in the TARDIS with the Doctor. <laughs> and the Doctor's like... Mm. Bigger on the inside. It's this. It's that. Go on, say it. You go. I thought it'd be cleaner. Oh, <laughs> I love it for that. I thought it'd be cleaner. What? <laughs> it's 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 reminiscent of um, Arthur in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, isn't it? Where the first he sees of a Vogon spaceship is the 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 catering department and then as soon as they get out onto the main coach oh no this is what a spaceship should look like all white and gleaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a rival of the spaceship oh what do you think it's a bit squalid <laughs> 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 old mattresses <laughs> yeah yes right alright any more on Wills Darth Nope. Nope. Uh, no from chat. Nope. <laughs> right, well, we've just got a couple more to do, and then we can wrap up today, I yes. think. And uh, moving on to number 12, I have a clip. Number 12 is... Who is that? Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. Yeah, I know who you are. That was me. Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. Yes, I... Know who you are. <laughs> Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. Yes, we know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can't be Harriet Jones, MP, former MP for Flydale North, and former Prime Minister. <laughs> we know who you are. <laughs> That that's probably going to be one of the silliest and best long-running gags in the show. Is uh, is is our Harriet Jones? It lasted four series. Mm-hmm. Hey, I could try that, Ian. 
dear yeah. tired. <laughs> I think my mind <laughs> yeah, don't, don't you think Dave looks tired? <laughs> he looks tired. I can bring down your career with five words. No, six words. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Um, great, great, I mean, really, comic relief character, but some lovely moments with her, too. Some lovely, serious moments. And she did her duty. She did her duty, and she was. it was very quite poignant, the the facts that she laid down, and and the fact that she didn't back down from her position at the end. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you were right, doctor, blah, blah, blah. It was like, no, she stood by her decision. She says, you can't always be here, and so we have to do something. And it was great. Any more? Yeah, I think, you know, Tim was saying earlier that Wilfred is the best character RTD ever made, and I honestly think it's it's really Harriet Jones. Um, because she's got such dimensionality, I think, um, and you, you can use her in a lot of different situations as has been used, uh, as she has been used. Um, and I, I was, I had no knowledge that she was coming back and pulling her absolutely thrilled that she did because I, I really didn't want that character of all the characters that we've come across that's the one character whose story I didn't want to end the way that it did I was happy with Rose being on the other side of the curtain um, I was happy with Martha having decided of her own volition to leave the doctor uh, but really Harry Jones got screwed by the doctor really hmm. um, and I was so overjoyed that she came back uh, delightfully played um and I, I would love to see her again in some bizarre way, like uh, as a kid or something. Um, you could say um, Phil Collison um, maintains that she fell through a trapdoor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She but fell she, through she, a trapdoor into the alternate reality where everybody knows who she is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she she has been for this series um, something that for some reason they can't seem to get, and I don't know why, but they can't ever get a regular unit commander. And so in the absence of a single person to represent sort of an Earth authority, she has become the de facto brigadier of this, certainly the first four seasons of Doctor Who. Um, and I, I don't know why they're having such a problem with keeping unit commanders, keeping them alive even. Um, <laughs> Uh, much less keeping them interesting, but she she absolutely is the brigadier figure of this current generation. Yep. Okay, we're we're getting near the end. We've got someone else in the room that's got audio. I don't think spoken yet. Is it Darren Wilson? Is it? I'm not quite sure of the name. Darren Jolter. Do you want to come in on yeah, audio? Yeah, Darren. Sure. Uh, I mean, we don't know how familiar you you are with the. This list we're talking about our Doctor Who in general. So, do you want to just give us a brief idea of you know where you are in your knowledge of the series, and any comments from the the last few you've heard? Oh, I, I'm a fan from way back from the classic. Uh, the new series I, I watch as often as I can, which isn't enough, but uh, I've, I've been pretty much up on this this season. Okay, uh, and do you want to comment on this particular one we're doing now about Harriet Jones? Uh, did you miss anything that you would have liked to have said something about earlier? 
I thought that was a good point about her being the the brigadier. You know that that is a role that they didn't really bring back in the new series. That is kind of missed. She kind of filled in for it. Okay. Uh, and Wilf, are you a fan of Wilf? Are you one of the others that we've talked about earlier? Um, Donna, no, Donna Noble. Oh yes, yes, I, I like Donna. Also, I thought Wilf was a, a handy character. Kept coming back. Uh, you know. I hate to see him leave. If uh, it would be nice if they keep him in longer. Okay. And, It'd be interesting um, to see if he he uh, ends up meeting the next doctor. Okay. Any more comments while you've got the mic, and then because we'll be wrapping up soon, I think we've just got one more to go now. Other nope. than um, I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. Go on, Demana. Oh, was there, other than um, Russell T. Davies has a thing for surnames, how many characters have the last name of Jones in Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> like in the well, one scene, you had you had three Jones in the one scene in the Stolen Earth. You had Harriet Jones, Barford Jones, and Yato Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of, of course, I'm sure Darth would mention it. Is it Stephen Moffat that has all the the rivers, moons, songs, all the 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 uh, Earth type ones? Sparrows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, pushing on to number 11. And our last entry for this show, we will, of course, be continuing next Sunday with the remainder of the list, the top 10 or bottom 10, depending on which way you read the list. Number 11, pop music. If Who was a U.S. show, we'd be getting soppy indie ballads every five minutes. Instead, the show has taken a wittier approach to using pop songs, often setting them in the wonderfully incongruous sounding, uh, surrounding. From Cassandra's choice of Britney Spears to celebrate the end of the world, to the master taking over the world to the accompaniment of Here Come the Drums, Here Come the Drums. It's a shame, though, that the fan campaign to get one of Murray Gold's songs the wall of soundish song for ten into the charts came to nothing. I love that song. The version on the album's not as good as the version in the show, anyway. Yeah, it's not. It's it's still it's still good though. But um, for hmm. the TV, just something about the 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 the, the vocalist in the original that's just somehow better. Mm. Yeah, and I think the the one thing that we need to mention, of course, and uh, and people in the states might be able to clarify this for me is that unfortunately when they do include pop music um, like um, the the one where he's being thr- wheeled around in the wheelchair it tends to get the one part that gets cut when it's shown internationally yeah Benjamin that is because yeah, they don't want uh, to pay the rights actually no, it was an RTD cut for time the whole sequence is cut yeah the whole sequence is cut um, I've it's seen the cut the international version of the time lords yeah, it's right. it's the whole the whole song is cut, and it just pretty much cuts from, you know, you just got Martha on the beach, and then the next thing you see is the Doctor and the Master looking out the window, saying, you know, New Time Lord Empire. It's completely cut, which makes me really sad because that is like one of my favourite scenes in like Doctor Who in its entire history. And you're gonna have to remember, <laughs> my mind's a total blank tonight, so you're gonna have to remind us who the song's by. Scissors, scissors, That's it. I've got the album and everything. It's called I Can't Decide. When the full version airs in overseas countries and on the DVD, the full version has the song. And the right. full version does air sometimes. But the cut version 
they cut the section that would have the song. But I, but I don't. I, and I know I've heard really toxic right, on DVD as well. Sorry, I'm saying because there is a full version out there in the U.S. and outside of Britain, I, I don't think it's cut for rights. I think it's just cut because really you can do without that scene. It's I mean, there is. It's a time issue. That's it's like, it's e- easier than trying to find ten different, ten different, ten second scenes, isn't it? But I, I don't think they cut Madonna out of End of the World. No, the, I don't. The original it's, foreign broadcast. It's it's just a t- it's just for time. That's all it is, really. Yeah. Um, I just have to mention briefly. Randolph for um, said, um, you want you want to say it? That Father's Day Rick rolled us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was towards the beginning of the episode when, Ro- when Rose and her father were in, the, were in the car. The radio is playing Never Gonna Give You Up. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> 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 Didn't notice that until years later I'm going, oh, that's great. It was 1987 and that was a very big hit back in 1987. But still, they could have had another song. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they were after something that was unmistakably that year. <laughs> Still a Rick Roll. Yep. Mm. <laughs> Still a Rick Roll. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, anybody? I, I mean, I just uh, like the fact that you know now we're getting some you know. The, I guess it's a double-edged sword. I mean, the song for Ted and stuff like that is fine because it's designed and fits in with kind of the music of the show. Um, and I think they've been quite good about the the music that they do include on it that it's not necessarily that current. Um, for example, the the, uh, the Rick Astley thing is you know in fitting with the eighties. Um, they had Soft Cell on there, Tainted Love. Um, yeah, that was the it, first first pop song they used, wasn't it? For yeah. End of the World, yeah. which chucked me sideways at the at that moment in time, and I thought, oh. Okay, so they're doing this to Doctor Who, <laughs> and, and when they when they played Toxic, um, I had no idea that it was Britney Spears anyway. That's <laughs> uh, probably because it's one of her better songs. <laughs> I'm not a follower of Britney Spears, but well, neither am I really. No, but I mean, it's, it's good to see it. But it's just, um, I, like it says on on, on the SFX website, um, at least we're not getting these little indie soppy ballots every five minutes. Yeah, when, oh, you know, I hate that about American TV. American TV's gotten just stupid over it, and uh, and it's time they, you know, just toned it down. It seems like, uh, oh, we can't get emotion unless we play you a song. Yeah. It's like, it's like they're trying too hard to get yeah. the emotion. They can't, they can't get somebody to compose some music, just some thematic music. No, they've got to pop some music is somebody's song in there so they can then sell it uh, as a soundtrack later on yeah. Charlie P 79 has put of course the, the Glenn Miller music in The Empty Child and, and the Doctor, Doctor Dances. Dances yep yep definitely yeah see I personally would like to see more indie music I would love to see uh, an episode of Doctor Who that had no orchestral stuff in it at all I would love to see it made more like uh, American television for at least one episode, if it made sense thematically. Uh, oh yeah, I, I mean, I that's find the thing. all that stuff terribly effective, actually. Right. It's just the, the 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 point I was making is that it's just it's overdone in America so much. Every show is doing it. 
and they're doing it multiple times per episode, and it just gets to be, you know, too heavy-handed. Oh, Charlie, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> ELO and Loving Monsters for oh, the yeah, win. Oh, I like that. Oh. <laughs> that amused me. Oh. I was in there with a bit of ELO. It's one oh, of the best things was... about. There's two ELO songs in that in that story, isn't there? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I know. Um. Mr. Blue Sky's in it. Yeah, Mr. Blue and then, Sky. And then, and then, when they form their little band, they sing um, "Don't Bring Me Down." Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I I love listening to Mr. Blue Sky. Mm. Alrighty, well, I think that draws this episode to a close. And uh, as I said before, uh, we will be completing this next week, and we will divide the episode up into two sections. We will complete the. Bless you. We will. <laughs> we will finish the top or bottom ten, depending on which. And you look at this list from, uh, and we will, we will, we will, <laughs> we will also be discussing the first part of the end of time. So, uh, we will go around the room, saying our goodbyes, and we will finish up with a little Christmas message from Dave and I. So, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Mr. Tim Jury. Oh, yes, goodbye. Made it on eventually. Yay! Ramana, too. Goodbye, boys. Mr. Randolph, or? Goodbye, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mr. Darth Skeptical. Adios, people. Darren Jilson. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Mr. Benjamin Elliott. A happy Christmas and a merry new year for me and everyone to do. Thank you, sir. And my partner in crime, Mr. Dave A.C. Oh, and Charlie P. 79, who's oh, in yeah. the cone of silence. Sorry, uh, and, sorry, Charlie. And, oh, hang on, he's coming on very quickly. Oh, oh, quick, unmute the boy. Oh, try again. Charlie. There he is. Hello, Charlie. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Excuse the background noise. That's my dog. <laughs> goodbye, Charlie. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Came in to say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and it's goodbye from Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Yeah, and for all the other people that have been in the room and have perhaps had to leave at one point or another, like Logan and uh, Tiggs and Howley and Lynn... And the number of guests, G-Man, Nick, uh, Al, Al Jester, is it? Um, uh, so thank you to everybody that's taken part today. So yes, next Cult and Collective will be the day after Boxing Day, the 27th at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, Ian, I'm hoping you're going to open the room that week because I might be a little bit late because oh. I shall be watching David Tennant and uh, a certain person who may well be knighted soon a famous starship captain who also was an X-Man, uh, Dr. Xavier, ah, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. They are recreating on TV um, the Shakespeare play. 
I think it finishes just about the time. So if I'm not in dead at the beginning, Ian, I will be joining very quickly after. Okie dokie. Well, we will see you all next week. Have a good Christmas. And here's Dave and I to wish you all a Merry Christmas. Hi. Hi. This is Ian. This is Ian. The Sixth Doctor. Sixth Doctor. Hi. Hi. Dave A.C. Dave A.C. From the, from the Coltum Collective Podcast. Yes, we collectively like to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from all our podcasters and listeners to your podcasters and your listeners. What? Hang on, Dave. You're telling me there's other podcasts? Next you'll be telling me there's no Santa Claus. Oh, come on. I know you secretly listen to these other ones. I know I do. I know. But none of them have wine. Oh, wine. Lovely. Time for another glass. Yep. Cheers, Dave. Cheers, Ian. Merry Christmas, everybody. And a Happy New Year. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.